the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast Podcast. It's Tuesday, November 17th, 2023, and this is the Steak for Breakfast Podcast, episode 292. Make sure you're subscribed to the show. It's available across every downloadable podcasting platform. Find us on Apple, Spotify, iHeart, and Google Podcasts. Check out the Steak for Breakfast link tree that will take the show's Instagram, our latest Substack, and verified accounts on Twitter, Getter, and True Social. What's up, everybody, and welcome to our big Friday edition of the show today. I'm Roan. Noah's here. Yo. We've got a great slate of guests coming in today. We're going to have Representative Ben Klein joining us. We're also going to be sitting down with Dylan, attorney Ron Coleman, Arizona 8 congressional candidate Abraham Hamaday will be here as well. Former chief of staff to the DOD, Cash Patel will be joining us. And the president of the New York Young Republican Club, Gavin Wax, will be here as well. Lots of breaking news. Congress figured out how to apply another Band-Aid in the form of a CR. Will it be enough to quell the ire of America first? We'll analyze. Joe Biden rolled out the red carpet for Chinese dictator Xi Jinping. And Elon Musk kissed his ass a little bit. We'll check that out as well. And there was an open borders hearing starring Alejandro Mayorkas and Christopher Ray. We've got all the lowlights. But before we get to any of our headlines, let's take it up to the nation's capital and change the way you consume your news. Smokey, this is not Nam. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior, America! Steak. For breakfast! So stand by. All right, everybody. Welcome to the Steak for Breakfast podcast. I'm Ron Noah's here. Yo. If you're a first-time listener, welcome to the show. If you're a long-time listener, welcome back to America's fastest-growing political podcast. Let's get things started today in the nation's capital. We're going to be sitting down with a congressman who's representing Virginia 6. Happy to have back Representative Ben Klein. Thanks for coming back on the show today. Hey, great to be with you guys. Glad to be uh, out of the swamp. Yeah, it's uh, you guys had a lot of stuff going on the last couple of weeks there, and uh, we want to kind of touch on as much stuff as we can with you. The first one is, I think our listenership's really interested to see how, you know, all the congressmen and women who are working hard to get things back to a sense of normalcy up there are looking at life after the latest CR. I mean, there was obviously a lot of people who weren't happy with it, but anyone who understands the way politics go understands that uh, we don't want a government shutdown. You don't want to punish the men and women who are working in places, let's just say, along the U.S. southern border uh, with not being able to get their paychecks, especially during the holiday season, funding the military and all that other fun stuff. But, you know, it seems like here in Speaker Johnson over the course of the last couple days and and what we're going to be touching on in the news portion of our show as soon as we get off with you, Congressman, is that he seems pretty optimistic about getting through the rest of the appropriations process and getting, uh, you know, Congress working in, in a fashion that's more prudent for the American people moving forward. Well, you got to be optimistic, but you got to be realistic. And uh, we're not sent up there to keep doing things the same way they've always been done. Um, That's why I'm in the Freedom Caucus. That's why we're, you know, we're frustrating a lot of the old guard, the establishment up there by stirring things up. Um, we, We know that we can't continue to spend the way we've spent, regulate the way we've regulated uh, and interfere in people's lives. Uh, The government's being run off a cliff by the status quo advocates who just, uh, you know, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, they just want to keep spending. Biden just wants to keep spending. And uh, it just it just can't continue. The inflation rates that we see as a result won't let it continue. So we're up there to change things. And that's why uh, we're, we're fighting for some things and against some things. And one of the things we've worked with our new speaker over is the need to cut spending in this latest CR while it kept the government running. Nobody wants to shut down. It did nothing to uh, address our border crisis, address inflation, 
it just kept the Pelosi spending train going another couple of months. That's why I voted against it. No, absolutely, and and we're glad so many of you did. But do you see moving into the holiday season and the fact that you know in between Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's, et cetera, all the way up through February, you guys are going to be in and out of Washington, working through the appropriations process the best you can to get as many of the bills done. Uh, you know, before this CR expires, do you see that process? Uh, being you know looked at now with a little bit more sense of urgency especially since the cr kind of was just another band-aid that continued the spending of the last session of congress well uh, yes uh, those of us who i mean we recognize that we can use the power of the purse to make the changes we need to have been working whether it's in appropriations we have freedom caucus members who are now on appropriations and and i'm proud to be one of them trying to make the change from within uh, the belly of the beast, so to speak. And and uh, we're making the change, but we got to get these bills across so that we can leverage that in negotiations with the Senate. The Senate wants to jam us with an omnibus bill. And if we pass all 12 of our bills, uh, then it's a lot harder for them to, to justify jamming us and not doing the same thing themselves. So we're going to we're going to keep working hard to get rid of the woke and, and weaponized government in the bills that are left. We've got the FBI funding, uh, Justice Department funding, we're, we're cutting it significantly more than ever and uh, attaching to it uh, a lot of strings about uh, restoring some of the rights of hardworking Americans that have been abused by these uh, weaponized law, law enforcement agencies. Yeah, it's pretty wild, and, and, and it's going to be interesting to see how you guys kind of uh, start to deconstruct some of that, you know, funding for a, a lot of these things that are doing nothing except, you know, intimidating, harassing, and, and it, in a big sense, harming the American people. You know, before I move on to the next topic, I do have to ask you, and and me and my co-host right here are completely in the know of the first rule of Congressional Fight Club is you don't talk about Congressional Fight Club. <laughs> what was going on up there the other day? Was there just like something being served at the cafeteria? We saw, you know, obviously Timbershed and uh, Kevin McCarthy get into a little bit. Uh, Senator Mullen is standing up and taking off his watch and wedding ring in, the, in Bernie Sanders' help committee, and it just seemed like, you know, uh, Congressman, I don't know if you know, but at the end of all of our shows, Usually over the course of three hours, some movie will come up, obscure, funny, and, and we'll put it as like a little, you know, short end credit at the end of our show to kind of encapsulate everything that we talked about during the day. The clip we used on our Tuesday edition of the show was the scene from Major League where they're fighting each other in the dugout, and Bob Uecker's like, wow, I haven't seen as much fight out of the Cleveland Indians in uh, such a long time, and it's glad to see that they're showing a little fight, but they were fighting themselves. And it kind of uh, reflected on what was happening up in, in D.C. a little bit this week. What's going on up there? You know, D.C. is all about relationships, and uh, even in our families, if you uh, have a snowstorm or during COVID or any of those times when we were, uh, you know, stuck indoors with our families for weeks and weeks at a time, eventually nerves got frayed and people got um, frustrated with each other. So this is this is on the tail end of ten weeks straight of being away from our families in Washington, stuck together, working on uh, stuff like getting, uh, you know, the does the old speaker get thrown out? Do we elect a new speaker? Does that speaker have enough? No, we're going to have retributional action and take it, take it out on your choice. Uh, and so eventually we get a new speaker, but, but, you know, nerves are still frayed. So Kevin McCarthy bumps into, uh, uh, Tim Burchett and you know I've never uh, Tim Burchett's a friend of mine and and he's a good guy we call him the Carhartt uh, wearing <laughs> congressman but uh, I like it. you know 
men in Carhartt jackets uh, don't don't uh, uh, get too upset about being bumped. But I think he was he was uh, being interviewed by the press and wanted to put it on a little bit for the press. And so uh, talk about being bumped by Kevin McCarthy, whatever. You know, it's just that kind of get us out of here attitude where we need to go back and spend some time in our districts with our communities and and uh, listen to the people again and be 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 with our family and our friends no i mean it, it's it's that's a really good take on it and i think uh i understand exactly what you're talking about that was a good you know uh, correlation you made with the the way we were all stuck in the house during the pandemic and uh you know sometimes just during the holidays you're around a whole bunch of people for that usually don't see too much for a little bit longer than expected and sometimes uh, tempers flare up so um speaking of which there was a lot of people who were mad uh, last week that the, uh, you know, impeachment resolution didn't pass for Alejandro Mayorkas, uh, you know, in something that seemed like almost more of a slam dunk than uh, impeaching Joe Biden at this point. No one's done a worse job uh, as far as cabinet members go than Alejandro Mayorkas. This is the worst border crisis in the history of our planet. Um, he has done everything administratively, defying the courts, you name it, he's done it to allow more people in faster than ever before. And it doesn't look like it's slowing down anytime soon. You know, for as many people who gave a hard time to those who voted against it and signed with the Democrats. There was also, uh, you know, nearly a dozen people who didn't show up and vote, which, you know, would have definitely uh, led to probably that getting passed. You know, just seeing how this thing play out in real time, and as someone that probably understands how bad Alejandro Mayorkas needs to be impeached, w what's your take on that whole situation? Well, I was disappointed that the resolution passed, but it doesn't stop us from working toward impeaching him. He needs to be removed. He's been negligent in his duties. He's ignored and uh, his constitutional responsibilities to his oath and to his, his country. But, uh, you know, the Judiciary Committee has jurisdiction over the matter. The resolution wasn't killed as much as it was referred back to Judiciary, which stands ready to receive the facts from Homeland Security Committee. Mark Green's a great chairman, and he's packaging the evidence. You know, I was a prosecutor, and you don't uh, you don't go into court without a case ready to prosecute. And so uh, that's what this is about, making sure we have the case ready. Um, I, I, having served on the Judiciary Committee, understand the issues and am ready to impeach because I know the issues pretty, pretty in depth. But uh, a lot of my colleagues don't. They need it laid out for them. And that's what we're prepared to do. No, I kind of like that. You know, we, we try to tell our listenership, Congressman, and it's tough, and it goes hand-in-hand hand with the Biden impeachment inquiry. I mean, obviously, James Comer and Jim Jordan and Jason Smith have provided a lot of receipts online, but I always try to remind our listenership, if they're putting out, like, photocopies of checks from years ago, the loan repayments, et cetera, just imagine what they actually have behind closed doors as part of the overall investigation. That's step one. Number two, we complained for four years of how Nancy Pelosi and the House Democrats railroaded Donald Trump with sham impeachment and brought these things up and either on hearsay or rumor or just for the fact that Nancy Pelosi wanted to puff out her chest and said, as Speaker of the House, I can impeach Donald Trump. We're going to impeach him. I see House Republicans in this session wanting to cross every T and dot every I to make sure that when this goes to an actual impeachment trial, that there's going to be the facts and evidence and timelines that all line up and all be irrefutable that show people like Alejandro Mayorkas or Joe Biden, etc., were in derelict of their duties, committed high crimes or misdemeanors, etc., and, and and actually show the American public that Republicans are willing to do it the right way. Is that kind of what you're alluding to here instead of just kind of rushing it through because we all know Alejandro Mayorkas needs to be impeached? 
Yeah, absolutely. And when it comes to the Biden administration, you know, you've got the checks, you've got the evidence. And we've and those of us who are prosecutors have done financial fraud cases before. But in the in the line at the bottom on the check, he wrote loan repayment. OK, if that's going to be your defense, then let's see the loan papers. And if they say no, then we're going to have to subpoena you and we're going to have to subpoena the documents. And when they say no to that, we're going to haul you into in front of Congress. So that's what's happening right now. They've been subpoenaed. Uh, uh, Hunter Biden's been subpoenaed. Joe's brother's been subpoenaed. They're going to have to talk about these loans. Show us the the terms of the loan. What was the interest rate? Uh, you know, these are just common sense questions that are are pretty much the way that loans are done all the time. But those are the things that make it impossible to do to to do at the drop of a hat. Now we've had a lot of time, and and uh, there's been a lot of evidence collected. And I don't want us to go too far into the uh, a re-election, uh, a campaign year uh, where this gets politicized. I want to do it sooner rather than later. So I think just if we if we don't have every bit of evidence, we need to go ahead anyway because we've got the vast majority of it ready to go. Yeah, that's a that's a good point as well. I think uh, you know we we kind of see it from both angles. Like I, I definitely like the take that you just gave. We also want to kind of on our end plays out as long make the democrats play defense at least in the in the primary sense of things we all know they have people like gavin newsom getting prepped and ready to go obviously a lot of people put up rumors about michelle obama being interested in maybe you know accepting the nomination at the dnc convention next year but you know instead of giving them an entire year to go around and campaign minus the politicization of it which is an excellent point that you make and something that i haven't touched on yet it's it's definitely a good angle we're, we're just gonna have to see how this plays out congressman last thing i want to talk to you about uh joe biden rolled out the red carpet this week pun intended, for Chinese President Xi Jinping out in San Francisco. We don't have to talk about all the way Gavin Newsom cleaned up the homeless and, you know, the way Xi Jinping is kind of... Uh wanted to meet Joe Biden so bad that he passed up on a dinner with him to go meet with all the big tech oligarchs and this, that, and the other thing. But, you know, I just want to talk to you uh, and kind of get your opinion on, on the optics of the whole thing, how bad it talks for the relationship we've had with China during the Biden administration. Obviously, there was the spy balloon, the, the threatening stuff that's going on with Taiwan. And then if you could wrap that up by talking about your Protecting America from Spies Act, which ties directly into the visit with, you know, the, the Chinese dictator and everything that's kind of going on with the situation. Yeah, as you said, China's been eating our lunch for many years and uh, stealing our intellectual property, then uh, patenting it in China and then suing the companies where they created the intellectual property in the first place, the American company. So it's it's pretty ridiculous what China's been doing. The spy balloons, another example, you know, back in 2020, the Trump administration closed China's consulate in Houston because there was evidence of espionage and intellectual property theft. It's uh, it, it needs to stop. But Trump, I mean, Biden, again, does nothing to actually address it. He just poses for photo ops and talks about uh, slowing the, the flow of fentanyl from China into the country. Well, there shouldn't be any fentanyl coming in from China. So I don't know what you're talking about, slowing it. And, and the only thing we get seem to get out of it is this uh, this uh, summit is a, is a pair of pandas. So it's pretty pretty uh, lame on the part of the president. So I've introduced legislation because uh, what's happening is these people are being caught uh, spying. They're being expelled from the country, but they're still eligible to receive visas to come back in, whether it's to visit, tourist visas, study, 
and on education visas. And this would just say if you're kicked out for any kind of espionage or, or have reason to believe by the State Department to be committing espionage, that you're not eligible to, to reapply for a visa to come back in. We don't we don't need you to come back into the country uh, to, to keep your uh, activities going on behalf of China. No, that's a that's a excellent way to kind of present it out there, and then I know moving forward and, and hopefully retaining the House in the next session, working on some more comprehensive border security on the heels of HR two, we're going to be looking at those student visas and things of that nature because there's a lot of funny business going on uh, right. out, out there as well. Congressman, we really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to join us on the show today. We're obviously going to be live linking your congressional website in the show description as well. Anybody that wants to check you out and all the great work that you're doing, where can they find you on social media? Uh, Klein.house.gov is the website, and Ben Klein or Rep Ben Klein is the social media. R E P B E N C L I N E, like Patsy. We're not related, but I claim her anyway. Uh, so I uh, hope people will check it out. I love it, and we love sitting down and sharing with you a little bit. But we'll be looking to have you back, hopefully, in the month of December. But we want to wish you a happy Thanksgiving as well. This is the congressman who's representing Virginia Six, catching up again with Representative Ben Klein. Thanks for joining us on the show, and have a great weekend. Thanks, you too, guys. You tell those members who call your plan a mistake, who say it's a surrender. It's, we're not surrendering. We're fighting. But you have to be wise about choosing the fights. you gotta, you got to fight fights that you can win, and we're going to. And you're going to see this House majority stand together on our principle, and, and we're going to do that. But the, the shutdown would occur on November 17th. Look, it took decades to get into this mess, right? I've been at the job less than three weeks, right? I can't change, I can't turn an aircraft carrier overnight, but this was a very important first step to get us to the next stage so that we can change how Washington works. And I think the latter CR, the two-step CR, however you describe it, is a big, important part of that. And I think every member in that room agrees that that's an important innovation. All right, jumping into the news portion of our show today on the Steak for Breakfast podcast. And it was great catching up with Congressman Ben Klein. He had a lot of good stuff to say. No, it's good to hear that even though the CR passed, as we all knew it would, get that Band-Aid over the holidays so these guys can you know, spend some time with their family but get back to Washington, D.C. in between and work on the appropriations process, that uh, you know he's not satisfied with doing the status quo and, and, and doesn't want to see anything like this moving forward. Nobody has even alluded to the word omnibus. And uh, I, I think that, you know, when, you, when you're able to hear it from the people who are voting or voting against things like the continuing resolution, it kind of gives our listenership a little insight onto what the mentality of the Republican House is right now up on Capitol Hill. Yeah, I think we need more people like him that are willing to do what needs to be done and are actually pushing for that to be done as well. And, and then, again, we always remind our listenership, as we know, Congress is a numbers game. And, and, you know, for as much as we wish we could railroad legislation through and just crush the Senate and force Joe Biden to sign it, that's not always the case, as is with H.R. 2. But the fact of the matter is, is that Mike Johnson's honeymoon period is over. And moving forward, it's going to be on him to motivate these guys to finish the appropriations process so we don't have to even revisit something like a CR for the rest of this session of Congress. I think that would be most prudent for him. Also, something that, you know, every congressman and woman who comes on the show is usually asked about the J6 tapes. Everybody feels like that stuff's going to be released. Well, he now has until February 4th-ish to produce those tapes or... People are going to be calling for his head, much like they did Kevin McCarthy, as those were the two things that he promised to in the beginning of the session that led to his eventual removal as Speaker of the House. I'm a little worried about that stuff actually being presented finally, but I guess we'll see. Yeah, we'll get to uh, the hearing they had on Capitol Hill yesterday, the open borders hearing, 
starring Alejandro Mayorkas and Christopher Ray. I, I know Noah can't wait to hear those two That's testimonies. That's all fucking cast. <laughs> You're going to wear out the garrison button on those. <laughs> You're also going to see Rep Higgins going hard a little bit later. There's been a lot of misleading headlines out on social media, too. You know, every time uh, an op-ed comes out criticizing what Mike Johnson has done or hasn't done since he's obtained the speaker gavel, you know, even as much as with the Biden impeachment inquiry, there were people making rumors on social media last week and just running with the narrative that Mike Johnson had no interest in impeaching Joe Biden when... You know, they, they subpoenaed like 25 people and haven't interviewed one of them yet. We do know that a lot of these dates are getting set up. We're going to see former uh, Biden family associate Bob Welker get interviewed on the 29th of November. James Biden's going to be interviewed on December 6th. And then Hunter Biden's going to have to provide testimony on the 13th of December. So I, I think getting through this process the right legal way instead of doing what Nancy Pelosi did in both of her impeachments is the right way to go. And if it's a little too slow for you, then... Uh, you're going to have to find some other stuff to occupy yourself with as we go through this process. Because if you just try to impeach Joe Biden for the sake of impeaching him, even though we all know he's a crook and a criminal, much like what happened with Alejandro Mayorkas, it's going to, even in the Republican majority house, die on the floor. Yeah, we can definitely just wait until he's out of office and do a post-presidency impeachment. And that would be out of office as early as next year, correct? Absolutely. Mike Johnson addressed some of these issues and uh, some of the other stuff that's being twisted of what he said. Let's hear it first day that uh, you had been uh, sworn in, uh, it appeared uh, that you had, were praying uh, on the floor uh, of Congress with a number of other uh, congressmen. And there is a question about the separation of, of church and state. Oh, uh, we often talk on this show about uh, folks, uh, about whether religion should play a role uh, inside a company, whether people should be allowed to, to pray inside a company. There's one thing to, the government's to pray a company? outside and to, and to have your faith and, and, the and there's a great importance one. in that. But how do you think about that and how do you think about the public perception of that? Listen, faith, our deep religious heritage and tradition is a big part of what it means to be an American. When the founders set this system up, they wanted a vibrant expression of faith in the public square because they believed that uh, a general moral consensus and virtue was necessary to maintain this grand experiment in self-governance that we created, a government of, by, and for the people. We don't have a king in charge. We don't have a middleman. So we've got to keep morality amongst us so that we have accountability. And so they they wanted faith to be a big part of that. The the separation of church and state is is a misnomer. People misunderstand. Standard. Of course, it comes from a phrase that was in a letter that Jefferson wrote. It's not in the Constitution. And what he was explaining is they did not want the government to encroach upon the church, not that they didn't want principles of faith to have influence on our public life. It's exactly the opposite. Washington said, of all the dispositions and habits which lead to political prosperity, religion and morality are indispensable supports. And John Adams came next and he said, our Constitution is made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. They knew that it would be important to maintain our system. And that's why I think we need more of that. Not an establishment of any national religion, but we need everybody's vibrant expression of faith because it's such an important part of who we are as a nation. Now, last time I checked, Noah, a lot of the way the slogans for the United States end is one nation under God. It's not one nation under Microsoft, one nation under non-denominal sect or whatever. It's part of the, you know, concrete foundation that went into the founding of our republic. To think that Mike Johnson is coming off as a radical for praying on the House floor with several other of his congressmen and women who, you know, feel the same way that prayer should be an important part of their lives and their careers up there as they represent themselves and their district. In addition to the fact that this nation is strayed away from God in ways that we have not seen since Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, 
what do you think when they kind of push him on these issues or non-issues to try and make it like the centerpiece? They're, they're tr- essentially trying to tap him as a religious radical, and it could be nothing could be further from. The well, case. they're trying to trap him into saying something that contradicts something that he's already purported to be his his stance. But I was actually just kind of impressed in all that stuff that he just whipped out off the cuff. Like that's pretty good. Like yeah. that's I couldn't do that. I can barely talk when I'm on the show. You know, some people have noticed lately you've been a little disengaged, so <laughs> I know, listen, we're not trying to give you a math test here, but, you know, it, it, no, it's important. And, and I think, you know, just to, the Mike Johnson's going to run the House of Representatives in the same way, you know, that we compare to people like Senator Tommy Tuberville. He campaigned on something. This is what Mike Johnson always has been. He's a direct representation of his district. And the fact of the matter is, is now that he's the Speaker of the House, more people are going to taste his flavor than then had gotten to when he was just a you know obscure house member but this is the way things are going to go down now and uh you know a lot of people in the mainstream press especially those ones that repress anything to do with god or religion uh kind of cope and seethe over it so speaking of which there was one person in particular that wasn't very happy in any way shape or form with the cr getting passed that's texas house representative chinless chipsoy chinless for as much as we like him on some of his border takes, there are some other things, especially his political candidates who he endorses, which we just can't get behind. However, when he does drop the hammer like he did on the House floor yesterday, I feel like it's good for the show. Let's hear him. One thing. <laughs> I want my Republican colleagues to give me one thing, one, that I can go campaign on and say we did. One. Anybody sitting in the complex, if you want to come down to the floor and come explain to me one material, meaningful, significant thing the Republican majority has done besides, well, I guess it's not as bad as the Democrats. Oof. Mm. Hey, listen, no lies detected. Yeah. And, you know, when we have so many of these congressmen and the women on the show now, almost every episode, you're getting at least one. And it seems to be the same thing. They talk about optimism they talk about a different direction they talk about moving away from the establishment and the k street mafia and the and the mccarthyism that's been you know kind of cancerous in the house of representatives for nearly a decade now you know part of the young guns and the destroy boys as they've been tabbed on saturday night live but at the same time the we are heading boys <laughs> we are heading into an election season and uh you know saying we'll do a better job next year if the republican candidate wins president is definitely not the way I, if I were a politician, would want to go back to my district and present myself as the last two years of work. Yeah, no. Or at least we didn't shut the government down this time. It's like you're giving these guys and gals a lot less to work with than normal. Uh, Also, passing stuff that's DOA in in the Senate really doesn't resonate with a lot of people as well. Well, we have the best, most comprehensive border security bill and and one another bill, H.R. 1, that promotes uh, energy independence for the United States. But, you know, Chuck Schumer will never pass them, so they're DOA in the Senate. Um, Like, if I was a constituent who's paying, like, $150 for a tank of gas for my truck and Mm. $400 every week when I go to the grocery store, I don't hear that. No. Get it done. Yeah. At this point, I think there's a lot more people who are conservatives or maybe even you know, just in America first, who would have been like, eh, at some point you probably should have shut this shit down for a little bit. I didn't want to see a government shut down now at this point, you know, heading into the holidays. Cause you have to remember military men and women, men and women who are in law enforcement all throughout the country at the federal level, those who work and protect our U S Southern border to the context that they're allowed to under all hundred Mayorkas, you shut the government down. Those people aren't getting paid through the holidays. Nothing could be shittier than that. And, and a punishment for the people who have to do the jobs that nobody wants to do. 
And uh, if there was ever going to be a CR, this will hopefully be the last one that I can actually semi-endorse and see forever moving forward because we got to figure it out. Promises were made. They need to be kept. I mean, aren't they supposed to have this, these budgets done? Isn't that like the law? Kevin McCarthy did have almost <laughs> 10 months to finish them. He got just about three finished. I think we're up to eight or nine now in just three weeks under Mike Johnson. Remember, he said he can't turn the aircraft carrier around in two and a half weeks. And, uh, you know, I kind of believe him. They got to pull harder. boy, <laughs> Guys, wherever you're listening to the show today, whatever downloadable podcasting platform, please make sure you're following the Steak for Breakfast podcast. We will never ask you for a dime. We will just ask you to follow the show and make sure it's downloading on your electronic device. Helps out the show in a lot of different ways. Algorithm, top 100, presents itself on podcasting platforms, etc. In addition, social medias, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram. Find Steak for Breakfast, follow the accounts, hit the notification bell. We're going to segue right now and talk a little bit about Congressional Fight Club. Mm. Didn't seem like Rep Klein was as jokingly with us. <laughs> Listen, it was funny. Well, he didn't want to talk about Congressional Fight Club. He did, however, say, like, you know, you know, punch from Kevin McCarthy. It's not like he he said that, uh, you know, Timbershed. And here's the thing. Right after that, I reached out to the to the office of Timbershed. I was immediately connected to his comms director. We back and forth, and I listed off a couple of the, you know, congressional adjacents that come on the show, and she said he'd be more than happy to join us. So we'll be sitting down with Congressman Burchett for the first time on December 8th. I'd like to let everybody know that one. Also, we've, we've made contact with Speaker Johnson's office, and hopefully sometime in the near future or, or immediately following – the holiday speaker Johnson will be joining us on the show as well. They seemed pretty open to the amount of congressmen and women adjacent to speaker Johnson and the way he wants the house to move in, who we regularly have on the show. In addition, uh, it seems like he wants to do a lot of media and get his voice out there and really doesn't, you know, feel the need to hide himself from anybody much like some other people. I mean, I know a lot of people have asked why some of like Vivek Ramaswamy hasn't been on steak for breakfast yet. And it's, it's pretty simple. It's because they don't want to come on the show. It's not like we're not trying. No, and, and actually I'm done trying because, you know, I, I semi-defended them in a post yesterday. <laughs> Are we going to talk about this real quick? Yeah, why not? <laughs> so we all know how awful the Ruthless podcast is. Noah tabbed them toothless. Some of our friends on social media have tabbed them rizless. <laughs> and actually made us a sweet meme for it, so That's I appreciate brutal. that. But here's the thing. Listen, everybody's got their own opinion, but I've been telling you guys for the last year, nothing against any of those former... Uh, congressional staffers, the Senate staffers, Mitch McConnell employees who have that show now and, and the way that they've been able to rise to prominence and, you know, the, the charts and stuff due to the fact that they have to get their ass wiped by Megyn Kelly and appear on her show two, three times a month. Like, that's completely fine. If that's what the establishment and K Street and the mainstream media want to do to prop up that stuff. I mean, Ronald McDaniel will come on here and then have that show be the pregame to two out of the three GOP debates. Listen, if that's the way you kind of want to move your uh, listenership's direction in, that's completely fine with us. But here's the deal. When you have shit takes, you're going to get called out for it. Mm -hmm. First of all, there was a Nikki Haley thing. We're going to touch on that a little bit later in the show. God awful. Then they go and try to defend themselves and saying like, well, you know, aren't you glad that she said it on her show? Well, yeah, yes, but I wish you guys would have pushed back on it. Like when we have guests on the show and don't think, you know, and that's the funny thing too. They want to tab us as like uh, another speaker box for the Trump campaign. First of all, Steak for Breakfast makes $0 from anywhere. We are not affiliated with any entity, no campaigns, nothing. Every single person that comes on the show is completely organically invited by me and finalized by me. I interview every single person that comes on this show myself. In addition, 
when you have people that come on this show regularly, Josh Hammer, huge supporter of Ron DeSantis, Ken Cuccinelli, one of the, you know, chain of command in the Rob DeSantis campaign and someone who's connected to Never Back Down. He's been on the show. We didn't hammer him. We asked him about poll numbers. He talked about it and said, you know, I feel Ron DeSantis still has a, you know, fight in this game. Cool. We have congressmen and women all the time. Ralph Norman endorsed Nikki Haley. We don't need to ask him about that. I want to know about stuff that he's working on and stuff that's going up on Capitol Hill. Bob Good. He's kind of like neutral with an endorsement now, but did originally endorse Ron DeSantis. I love when Congressman Good comes on the show. So to say we have any kind of bias other than we report the news on Donald Trump that you guys refuse to, that's the problem here. When you go out every week and say people like Nikki Haley, Chris Christie, Mike Pence, Tim Scott, Doug Burgum, Ron DeSantis won the week, <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> Nobody won anything ever since this campaign started. Be honest with you, I, I'm kind of retarded. We don't care if you had bad takes. But it's a combination of that and for the fact that you have in the recent past talked about how Donald Trump is an unwinnable candidate as the Republican nominee. That's just not the truth. The polls don't reflect it. The coping and seething in the media doesn't reflect it. And neither do the lies that you guys propagate on your show. So if you want to go and have some uptight, sweater vest wearing, douchebag being, takes on politics, that's completely fine. But don't come into our wheelhouse. I mean, you got to remember one thing. Mitch McConnell's got a shelf life on him right now, and I'll be completely honest with you, his expiration date is a lot closer than Donald Trump's. So for as much as insider info as you give everybody and you want to tab yourself as the long-form podcast, which we've been for over five years now, gals, you continue to do what you do but stay in your fucking lane because we won't accept it, and we'll continue to tell people that you guys are shit for as long as you guys are shit takes. And when there's no candidates left next year and we hit the general election cycle, you're more than welcome to jump on the train, as you will, and start talking about how Donald Trump can beat up animals and you know have all the inside jokes that everybody else has with all these congressmen and women who come on our show, on your show, and think it's funny. That's fine. But the fact of the matter is, is that people should remember where you've been and what you've done, and uh, if you continue to provide everybody with shit takes, we'll just... Be the podcast that points it out. End in point. So segueing over to Congressional Fight Club, we obviously heard what happened the other day. Kevin McCarthy walked past Tim Burchett when he was giving an interview to NPR outside of the Congressional Conference and apparently threw a flying elbow into the kidney. Kevin McCarthy was quick to defend himself when cornered by the media before he scurried into his office. Let's hear him. A reporter was interviewing Burchard or something. I guess our shoulders hit because Burchard runs up to me after. I didn't know what he was talking about. Mm. So the reporter's asking me. I did not run and hit the guy. I did not kidney punch him. I did not shoot anything like that. You didn't shot him. No. I, we're walking through. You you were at HC5, right? You guys line up along the way there. It was Bruce Wester and I walking out. He must have been interviewing someone. I didn't know it was him or something. I guess our elbows hit as I walked by. Guess he elbowed somebody. Did he but, 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 no. Yeah, well, he... I guess it happened because when I was walking back further, I don't say somebody was interviewing me or talking to me, and he comes running up like, why, why, why did you hit me or something like that? I said, I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't even know something transpired. But reporters and witnesses said it looked like you, there was plenty of room for you to walk and that you intentionally hit him. There is, okay, not a place. Show me a reporter who saw that. Ask, call Bruce Bruce Westerman. Okay, well, ask Bruce Westerman. No, I did not go up. If I hit, if I would hit somebody, they would know I hit him. He sounds like every little kid that's ever broken a window 
playing baseball. That sounds like my kids every single time one of them <laughs> comes downstairs crying and the other one swears to God they didn't hit the yeah, other yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Meanwhile, they're like holding their face or I'm like, lift up your shirt. There's like a complete handprint yeah. or an entire shoe mark in the stomach or back of my son or daughter, depending on which one's fighting the other. And Listen, this is not news. He's never sounded like that before when he's been talking. He's always like his cadence... The high pitch part of his voice, like when he was talking and all that, it just it screams, "I got caught." Yeah, and, and you know he loves to talk about and everybody, and it just seems like right there there was a lot of uh, defensive positioning, which is certainly not the case with Kevin McCarthy as well. And you know, we've seen a lot of people who are saying their farewells and goodbyes in Congress right now in the House and Senate. You've got Joe Manchin, obviously people like Ken Buck, uh, Mitt Romney, etc. Noah, we kind of track this stuff and are usually pretty ahead of the curve when it comes to the way things shake out. Do you honestly think with the balance of power in the House right now and and with Donald Trump on the top of the ticket next year, there's a lot of America First congressmen and women who are going to get in that are going to add to the 8, to the 20, et cetera, as not be establishment votes and vote more with legislation that's going to be pushed by the president as part of Agenda 47? I really hope so. Do you think Kevin McCarthy might call it a career at the end of this session right now and not run for the election? It's a possibility. Like, did you think Ken Buck or Mitt Romney or Joe Manchin were just going to say, this is a fucking zoo, I'm not doing this anymore? Well, I mean, that might be the only thing he can do. I mean, otherwise, you know, you, you have all these IOUs that you most likely dished out when you're in the position. Like, oh, I'll do this for you, I'll do this for you. It's like, man, people are coming to collect now. What? Well, and you have no power to do anything anymore. Oh, it's it's pretty wild to see the way this is kind of shaken out, and uh, it'll be interesting to see, but I, I do feel like Kevin McCarthy is going to be announcing that he's not going to be running for re-election at some point in the new year, and we're going to segue right now and get the response from Tim Burchett, who was asked about the incident as, as we continue to check in on Congressional Fight Club. Let's hear it. Explain to us what happened with you and Kevin McCarthy. Well, I was doing an interview um, with um, Claudia from NPR, uh, a lovely lady, and when she was asking me a question, and she wore a very nice dress. Time, I uh, got elbowed in the back, and it kind of caught me off guard because it was a clean shot to the kidneys. Ooh. And I turned back, and there was there was Kevin, and um, and I, I for a minute I was kind of what the heck just happened, and then I um, Kevin, I, I chased after him. Of course, he's a as I've stated many times, he's a he's a bully with seventeen million dollars and a security detail. Mm. You know, he's the type of guy that. <laughs> When you're a kid, would throw a rock over the fence and run home and hide behind his mama's skirt. He called he it, just, Noah. Yep. You know, he, he, uh, from behind, that kind of stuff. It, you know, that's not the way we handle things in East Tennessee. We, we if we have a problem with somebody, <laughs> I'm going to look him in the eye and, and talk to him. Okay, so he walked down the belt hallway, hit you in his el- with his elbow. Yeah, you, you, then- can, you can go on Claudia's Twitter account. It, it, it pretty much, um, her ex account, it, right. it, it's, it's very accurate. But- mm. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I, I think the the little look into what goes on behind closed doors, because we all want to know now, it's funny. I'm starting to understand why nobody wants to talk about the memes that Mike Collins brings to these congressional because <laughs> com- everybody's sick and tired of everybody. It is getting to that point around. It's like the best parts of Christmas vacation where you, you like <laughs> that part where Clark Griswold walks down the stairs and he looks into the kitchen and everybody's just arguing. So he goes and friggin' looks out the front window instead because he's just immediately disgusted by the people that are under his roof. Yeah. And that's the part where obviously Eddie's emptying the shitter into the gutter, but you know, shitter was full. That's the thing. Like these people have been forced to work with each other in, in 
durations longer than what they usually are because it's usually like a couple weeks in Congress, back in district, a couple weeks in Congress, break on the holiday, break on the calendar. And now it's just be like back-to-back government shutdowns looming. They've been up on Capitol Hill for almost 11 weeks now. There's some people who were still there that we've talked to recently. So it's just kind of, you know, weird the way that uh, tensions are running, especially with guys in their, like, late 50s, early 60s. Like, you're talking about two guys that are in their 60s, like, throwing elbows back and forth and chasing each other down the halls of Congress after a meeting. It seems that things have gotten pretty wild. We're going to be jumping in with Cash Patel. Just one second. I do want to play... Uh, one more clip about the agenda moving forward. This came out yesterday. Speaker Johnson and Steve Scalise came out to talk to the press, issuing uh, a little bit of a statement on the CR and also some of the things they're going to be doing. No, I don't know if you heard this. So Congress is going to be looking for a way to stop Joe Biden from eventually giving that $6 billion back to Iran. So now at the State Department, they've decided to ease sanctions on Iran and allow them the opportunity to get back $10 billion, which was frozen in another place. Perfect. It- can't, it's just yeah. corruption at its finest. And it's like one of those things that, you know, it seems that every time Republicans try to plug a hole in the dam, you get another taste of just exactly what Joe Biden's doing to throw another crack in it. Got somebody with a strap on poking more holes. Let's hear Steve Scalise. We're bringing a bill to the floor this Thursday that will freeze the $6 billion that Joe Biden wants to give to Iran. And the Ayatollah recently said, bragged, that if he gets that $6 billion, he will use it for whatever purpose he chooses, including continuing to fund terrorism like Hamas. Mm. Why would the Biden administration want Iran to get that $6 billion? Because they hate you. We're going to have a vote on the House floor to block that money, and hopefully you see a broad, overwhelming, bipartisan vote. I know it was split in committee. All Republicans voted for it. The Democrats were split. But this should be a larger vote. I think the whole country is going to be watching and saying, why would you dare allow Iran to get another $6 billion when we know they use that money to fund terrorists like Hamas, who are killing Jews, who are beheading babies? You see the atrocities in Gaza still to this day. So hopefully we can be united in that and get that bill to the Senate and get that bill to the president's desk so that he ultimately signs the bill and freezes that money so that Iran can no longer have that additional money to fund terrorism. So we're going to continue to do our work this week, but it's an important week, and then hopefully everybody has a great Thanksgiving. With that, I want to yield over to Speaker Johnson, who would talk about, you know, the CR is not really an excuse. It's more of a Band-Aid, and moving forward, they're optimistic that they're going to be getting work done. Best part about it, while a lot of people are folding it up for the holidays, we're going to get, continue to track this in its entirety and give you guys updates almost to the minute as we're going to get probably some congressmen and women throughout the course of the next four to six weeks who are going to give our listenership some insight onto what exactly is going on in between the holidays when they're heading back to Washington, D.C., and just what the appropriations process up to the minutely is looking like. We're going to be jumping in with former chief of staff to the DOD, Cash Patel, right now. But before we do that, let's hear from one of our partners. It's an unpleasant truth that 42% of Americans are obese and 79% of Americans are overweight. That's practically one in every two Americans living day to day with every minute counting down to the end of an unhealthy existence. It's time to change that and make Americans healthy again. You've probably heard about weight loss injections that can help you get back into that right mindset and help curb those cravings so you can focus on what's really important. New Hope Wellness has changed thousands of lives and maybe it can change yours too. They are American family owned and operated with the goal of saving lives. 
With convenient telehealth options, you can speak to a licensed professional from the comfort of your own home, and all products are delivered discreetly to your front door. Visit newhopewellness.com forward slash state and start your journey to a better you. That's newhopewellness.com forward slash state to get your free consultation and 100 bucks off your first order. 1-800-527-2150. Make America healthy again. All right, joining us next on the show today, this big Friday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast, he's the former chief of staff to the DOD, former special assistant to President Trump, former federal prosecutor, current PAPS enthusiast. Mr. Cash Patel, thanks for joining us on the show. Hey, thanks for having me, boys. I'm glad to crack crack a PAPS blue ribbon with y'all out in the West Coast where people forget America still resides. Oh, nice. <sighs> yes, it is quite frothy today. Cash, you've had a busy couple weeks. I'm glad that you were able to uh, <laughs> join us. I, I saw you providing a little bit of testimony in, in President Trump's Colorado uh, ballot-related case. You want to give our listenership a little bit about how your last couple weeks have been? Yeah, you know, it's fun. Finding lawfare with the Democratic radical agenda is uh, actually kind of enjoyable at times. And look, let's not kid ourselves. The outcome in Colorado is going to be singularly against Donald Trump. Their unconstitutional lawfare to remove him from the ballot. But as the lead witness for President Trump's team out there, it was pretty simple that we proved over and over and over again the president never committed insurrection, authorized 10 to 20,000 National Guard, Nancy Pelosi and Mayor Bowser turned it down. And the irony of it all is that now the radical Democrats actually are saying Donald Trump should have ordered those troops on January 6th anyway. Uh, because they keep changing the legal goalposts when it fits their narrative. Um, but that was some fun. And look, I'm sure it won't be the last case, but at least Michigan and Minnesota shot down those requests yeah, was, uh, to remove Donald Trump from the ballot. It was great to see those rulings as well. And now, Cash, as someone who's a former federal prosecutor, you're obviously tracking all of the other cases going on with President Trump. When you see Judge Cannon not play any games down in Florida and, and, and the way that the Manhattan-related case to the Trump Organization seems to be falling apart live on television since they want to turn it into a circus, <laughs> you, you, you know what can you say about the way lawfare is being committed against the 45th president and, and probably extending out to people adjacent to him, much like we see in the Georgia case as well? Well, if, if it wasn't in New York and it wasn't in Georgia and it wasn't in Florida and Colorado, it would be in, you know, six other states. And so they're just picking venues that are beneficial to them for one reason. They want the disinformation campaign narrative. They want to go out and have the New York Times print Donald Trump committed of, convicted of fraud in New York, even though there's no fraud victims in New York and no legal basis to bring that case. But they don't care. They just want to print that narrative like they printed the narrative that Joe Hunter Biden's laptop was Russian disinformation, even though it wasn't. Like they printed the narrative that Donald Trump was a Russian asset, even though he wasn't. And so this is just their latest get Trump scam. And some Americans will, of course, fall for it because they want it to be true so desperately. But I think a lot of Americans have woken up in the last year against these lawfare schemes and said, wait a second. I may not love Donald Trump, but what y'all are doing is wrong, and I don't want it to happen to my family and friends. So I think it's backfired. No, I think it is, too. And, you know, when you see the the polls that have come out, both ones that are in-state, national Republican primary, and then even general election polls, especially in the battleground states, 
I mean, you talk about candidates, what they're doing, staying in the race or mm -hmm. exiting. You see, uh, you know, Joe Biden out there promoting binomics and, and kissing Xi Jinping's ass all week and <laughs> telling the president of Mexico he was worried that he might be, you know, trying to sleep with his wife. Just fantastic behavior for so-called <laughs> president of the United States. It's just wild to watch the way this is kind of unfolding. Best timeline ever, by the way. You know, but 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 then you know you you see all the leaks come out against President Trump. Obviously, whenever Jack Smith wants to create a fake narrative, he'll leak stuff out there. But we're finally starting to see stuff related to Joe Biden leaked out. Uh, it, it's probably what everybody expected. The Robert Hur led special counsel into Joe Biden's document investigation is now starting to leak to the press that it doesn't look like they're going to be charging Joe Biden with everything, even though Jamie Comer has alluded to the fact that some of the documents that were classified that Joe Biden might have had in his possession are directly related to some of the business transactions that him and Hunter Biden, James Biden, and the rest of the Biden crime family associates were involved in over the course of more than a decade. Yeah, look, Joe Biden possessed classified documents, stored them in his garage with his Corvette and six other office buildings, and he had no lawful authority to have them. As a senator and as a vice president, you cannot take those documents, period. That's the law. Donald Trump, as a president, it's completely different than a presidential privilege, but it doesn't matter about the law. They're going to go ahead and they did charge him. And of course they rigged this special counsel from jump. Robert Hur is Rod Rosenstein's protege. Yeah. Robert Hur was Rod Rosenstein's junior bag man. When we did Russiagate in Congress, they blocked congressional subpoenas for records relating to their corruption, which we ultimately discovered. This guy was never a part of a law enforcement regime. He was part of the government gangster swamp regime. And to think that this guy was ever going to bring charges was a total joke. And it exposes a two-tier system of justice. Not to mention the fact that Robert Hur was the one that greenlighted with Rod Rosenstein the unlawful surveillance of said congressional staffer during Russiagate, along with 10 others. And we caught them red-handed. And I'm going to add Robert Hur to my federal lawsuit. I love it. And, and you, do you want to tell our listenership a little bit about that? Because I think it's important to show that at least some of the uh, mainstays in America First are pushing back and pushing back hard against the self-tab government gangsters. Well, it's pretty simple. You know, when it was just me, no one cared. But I, didn't, I wasn't going to wait for Congress or the New York Times to do the job for the American people. I saw the federal lawsuit against Rod Rosenstein, Chris Ray, and six other FBN DOJ employees for their unlawful warrants against me when I was a chief investigator for Devin Nunes in Russiagate over on Capitol Hill. And they did it because we were exposing their corruption. And normally a Congress would come in and be horrified that congressional staffers were being unlawfully surveilled. Fast forward a few months later, what happened? As we called it, 10 more staffers were actually surveilled back in 17 and 18. And now everybody's up in a tizzy, even the Democrats. And what does DOJ do? This is telling. They come out and say, oh, we have new rules when we're going to surveil congressional staffers the next time. That's their admission of guilt. That is what I'm going to tattoo to their foreheads when they testify under oath in federal court. Ray, Rosenstein, Lou, Robert Hur, y'all better watch out. We're coming for you with the force of the law because Congress and no one else will care to act. They'll send letters. They'll send a subpoena, but they're utterly meaningless because this DOJ and this FBI under Garland and Ray have heisman them from the beginning, and this Congress has allowed them to be run over like a bulldozer, so we got to do it ourselves. 
absolutely have to get in the fight. I mean, you've been one of the people standing in the breach since the beginning, Cash, and now you're bringing it to a courtroom near you. Uh, you know, was it funny to, to hear Christopher Ray in, in congressional inquiry this week when, uh, you know, he, he said he had no idea that people like Clapper and Brennan had signed on with the 51 former intelligence officials to say that the Hunter Biden laptop was the Russian disinformation in the 2020 presidential election cycle? He had no idea. What a joke. That guy probably has dinner with Clapper and Brennan and have the signatories on the 51 Hunter Biden intel letter. And the fact that the director of the FBI would have the audacity to say, oh, yeah, I didn't know who signed it. You were the director of the FBI. Are you telling me you didn't investigate Hunter Biden's laptop? Oh, wait, you didn't. So, yeah, maybe you didn't know because you were too busy politicizing and weaponizing the FBI and DOJ. You were too busy taking revenge actions against whistleblowers who were bravely exposing your corruption. You were too busy going after Christians in houses of worship. You were too busy targeting moms at school board meetings. You were too busy targeting people at abortion clinics who wanted a pro-life position. Maybe if you did your job as a lead law enforcement officer in this country, you might read a thing or two about the truth. But this guy cares about one thing, his ego in the headlines and continuing the destruction of justice because he doesn't care about it. And everybody's like, oh, Donald Trump appointed him. Well, he's one of the worst. Everyone now knows it because you know who his biggest supporters are? Every single Democrat from Joe Biden on down. And if you think Robert Hur's responsible for not bringing charges against Joe Biden. Well, Christopher Ray is equally responsible because he stocked Robert Hearst's team with corrupt, politicized FBI government gangsters who had decided before the investigation even began that they were never going to bring charges. But don't worry, they're going to write a report, and I'm sure everyone's going to read it. Nastily worded letter, of course. Even even as recently as today, Cash, an FBI whistleblower has come forward and said he was the lead investigator on a case into a pretty well-known pedophile who was promoting, you know, a bunch of that stuff internationally online. And he was forced to mm -hmm. abandon his case to focus on people who weren't at the Capitol on January 6th, but were dubbed <laughs> people of interest by the Department of Justice and the FBI. Yeah, me and you. Maybe they're investigating us again. I don't know. Damn it. Could I be. hate when that happens. <laughs> I want to segue right now and, and talk about one of the only good things that, that's happened in this year, and that's President Trump's campaign. We've seen him pick up yeah. steam before, kind of putting a tactical pause on the campaign this week. I mean, he's done a couple interviews and, uh, you know, has done a couple radio shows and stuff like that while he's dealing with the loss of his sister recently, Mary. Uh, mm -hmm. But, you know, over the course of the last two weeks, he's picked up some major endorsements. Obviously, the, the leader of the America First delegation up in Congress, Senator Rick Scott, uh, Dr. Ben Carson, who's a frequent guest on this show now as well. Uh, Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who was the press sector in the Trump administration, and obviously Speaker Mike Johnson as recently as yesterday. Cash, you're seeing President Trump continue to pick up the wins on the campaign trail and, and stack up endorsements. I mean, it's a surefire bet that he's going to be the Republican nominee now. But the fact of the matter is, is there's still a bunch of pretenders in this race that just won't get out. How are you seeing this all shake out? I mean, we've seen Pence and, and Tim Scott get out over the course of the last week. But, you know, people like Nikki Haley, who said she wants to dox everybody on the Internet, and Ron DeSantis, who's just kind of running like the spoiled little brother campaign right now, seems like they uh, don't have any stoppage in their repertoire anytime soon. Well, you can put aside everything you said in terms of why Donald Trump is going to be the Republican nominee and add one more thing to it. The fact that the rhino establishment class, the Ken Griffins of the world, the Jamie Diamonds of the world have come in big for Nikki Haley, along with the big time bosses at Fox News who have come in and started to prop her up 
is a shadow campaign because they want Donald Trump to go down in some BS legal fiction conviction and get sidelined so that they can prop up Nikki Haley. That is the only reason they are putting her forward. That is the only reason she is running because she is an actual rhino establishment class candidate. She is the female version of Paul Ryan. And this is what you get when you allow the mainstream media to pick your candidates for you instead of America. But America is choosing Donald Trump all day long. Make no mistake, though. Democrats, the rhinos, the unit party, and the mainstream media will do everything they can to kneecap Donald Trump with these legal um, battles, with these BS headlines, the disinformation campaigns, and Russiagate 27.0, which you better bet they're working on. So it's our job to get out there and combat that with the truth and our job to go out there and show them that they are Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis and co are complete frauds. And it is our job to get Chris Christie, another dozen donuts. <laughs> you know, it's funny. You could be as sloppy as Chris Christie and still get welcome back on all those mainstream media shows and, and people like, you know, you don't appear as much. Don Jr. Hasn't been on there in two years. And of course, you know, they only go and yeah. try to interview Donald Trump with like boomer sweat, Sean Hannity or the Botox queen, Laura Ingram only when they need him for ratings. So it, it's just interesting. We got to get out <laughs> and, and stay ahead of this thing, which is the last thing I want to touch with you on cash. It, it's directly related to president Trump's campaign and the entirety of the election next year. So, you know, to get Agenda 47 through and passed as fast, working for the American people as possible, there's a favorable map in the Senate right now. Obviously, with uh, Joe Manchin mm -hmm. retiring, you're going to see Governor Justice yeah. slide into that spot. And, and Baby Dog, which I know Noah is going to be absolutely hyped about, mm -hmm. getting into that senator spot. Then you have people <laughs> like Carrie Lake, Bernie Moreno, and a whole bunch of other great America First candidates running mm -hmm. on the Republican side. And a map that favors Republicans. The House of Representatives is equally as important. You know, we always have great yeah. guests on here, people that are running for house seats that have been huge supporters of President Trump, Jaron Bajewski, Joe Kent, Sandy Smith, etc. Mm -hmm. Fact of the matter is, we're going to be having another one a little later in the show today who you recently endorsed, Abe Hamaday. You want to tell our listenership yeah. a little bit about what went into that endorsement and how important it is for us to retain power in the House next year? It's so important to retain power in the House and the Senate, and people forget that there is a vast expanse of America west of the Mississippi. And you just siphoned off a great list of candidates, also whom which I have endorsed, including Bernie Moreno, including Trent Staggs in Utah, including Abe Hamada in Arizona, and so many other great candidates um, west of the Mississippi. If we want to win this country back, we have to win our home. we got to win the Nevadas, the Arizonas, and we got to win those house seats in Southern California that are so crucial to keeping the majority. And we got to put guys like Abe Hamada, a great American warrior, a veteran, a brilliant man, America first. He and I are living the immigrant American dream, two brown guys who have risen to some of the highest ranks of government, not under the Obama administration or the Biden administration, but under the Donald J. Trump administration. And so I'm, I'm so happy to endorse my friend Abe. I'm actually going to go out there and campaign for him in a week or so right after Thanksgiving holiday. So we need more and more of those great candidates. Um, there's a couple of great ones down in Texas too. And uh, hopefully we'll be connecting uh, y'all on uh, health for breakfast with them. Maybe you can have a few of those guys on, but you know, America has spoken, but our job is to go out for the next 366 days or whatever it is. By the way, we're, no, it's less than that. We're inside a year. Sorry. 356 days. Um, I'm the only Indian that sucks at math <laughs> and go out there and empty the tank every single day for one of these men or one of these women or for one of these issues we care about so much because it doesn't matter how hard Donald Trump runs. 
if the rest of the country isn't running with them. Because like you said, the mainstream media, they're just warming up the bus. They're about to come after him full bore after the holidays, and they're praying for a conviction. And what we need right now is a separation of the pack and America first candidates like Abe and Trent and Bernie and so many other candidates who are going, who have been standing for Donald Trump before, not after when it's politically convenient so they can get a job in the next Trump administration and screw us over like a bar, a Rosenstein, a Ray, a Esper, a Haskell, so many other government gangsters that uh, snuck in like snakes last time. It's our job to weed them out right now. And I hope every one of them comes on your show. And if I can ever help get them on there, you let me know and I'll do so. And we'll continue to track that and uh, track all these amazing candidates as well. Cash, last thing I want to touch with you on, very important heading into the holiday season. Obviously, you do a lot of great work with your organization. I want you to tell our listenership any way that they can contribute heading into the holidays to what you got going on with the Cash Foundation and, uh, you know, make things great with cash for the holidays again. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, the cashfoundation.com, we're just helping as many people as we can. Happy to announce today, we just selected our, our $10,000 grant recipients for Thanksgiving Day dinners for those that were in financial needs. So we're cutting checks for ten grand out to a bunch of families across America. We're going to do 20000 during the Christmas holiday. Um, we are giving away tens of thousands of dollars a month to veterans, to whistleblowers, to active duty service members, to people who need law enforcement. We just endowed a scholarship. In, in remembrance of our dear friend, Josh, the real dirty, AKA the real dirty. Awesome. Um, so now we have a tuition scholarship for that. And so if you want to check it out, go to the cashfoundation.com, grab some of the merch. All of the money goes back to the foundation become part of the army and help us put the mission first. We are helping literally thousands of people across this country. It's the greatest thing I'm a part of right now outside of, of course, being president Donald Trump, senior advisor for national security and defense. That doesn't suck. It certainly doesn't, and neither did this interview with you. Cash, as I already alluded to, we're going to be live linking the foundation in the show description today. There's only one place to find you on social media. It's on Truth Social. What's your handle? K-A-S-H at Cash at K-A-S-H. Oh, by the way, we just launched the whole new Base Apparel Truth, Merch, Truth Social merch store. It is now live. We have official Truth Social swag just in time for the holidays. You guys are going to love the color schemes on the hoodies, the beanies, the hats, the tees. Go check it out on Truth Social. Getting a hoodie in uh, ASAP, and we're going to get a hat to hang up here in the studio as well. Cash, oh, yeah. We're sending them your way. Fantastic. Been great sitting down with you today. We'll be looking forward to connect with you again, obviously, next month. And uh, you have a great Thanksgiving, and take care. This is the former chief of staff to the DOD. He's like a brown Captain America, if you look at the way the show's <laughs> going today. The one and only Mr. Cash Patel. Thanks a lot, and have a great weekend. Thanks, boys. Happy Thanksgiving. Enjoy your PBRs. Oh, it's like that Cadillac we have over there. <laughs> the international meetings, they fly those with me. You know what they call that car? They call it the Beast. <laughs> yes. And Mr. President, after today, would you still refer to President Xi as a dictator? Uh, that we used earlier this year. Well, look, he is. I mean, he's a dictator in the sense that he, he is a guy who runs a country that is a communist country that is based on a form of government totally different than ours. Anyway, you know, so, uh, it's good to see you again. We had dinner last night. I told you, you sat next to my wife, you were so captivating, I was worried she liked you more than she likes me now. I don't know.
Here, here. Welcome. Bon appetit. All right, jumping back into the news portion of our show now, that was kind of a glimpse through the window of watching Joe Biden interact with foreign leaders at the 2023 APAC convention. That was painful to listen to. Which is happening in the newly renovated San Francisco downtown district. What do you think, Noah? Newly renovated mm. or newly de Both. Yeah. I was in downtown San Diego last night, and uh, I wish... Xi Jinping old, was I, coming to San I Diego. I wish old Daddy G would come here. Old Winnie the Pooh himself made it over to uh, San Francisco and, and quickly skirted Joe Biden after briefly interacting with him, passing him up for a dinner the first night to meet with some of the biggest tech oligarchs and, and bankers on the planet. Did you hear about that? Well, that says a lot about who he thinks is actually running this country. Sure does. Here's a list of the dinner guests who were at Xi Jinping's main dinner table instead of dining with Joe Biden two nights ago. People from the Amway Corp, Apple Inc., BlackRock, Blackstone, Boeing, Bridgewater, Broadcom, the Citadel Securities, LLC, FedEx, Freepoint, Gilead Sciences, Honeywell, Las Vegas Sands Corp, MasterCard, Nike, Pfizer, Qualcomm, Visa, and Xcoal Energy and Resources. Sponsored by Pfizer. Oh, my goodness. It was, uh, yeah, it, it was interesting to see the way that kind of all played out. And, you know, it, it was a dinner, I believe it was $2,000 a plate. And some of the people who attended paid up to $40,000 in donations to meet and have their picture taken with the Chinese emperor. Kind of interesting to see. Uh, dictator? Well, according to Joe Biden, he is a dictator, man. He's just a ruler of a country that does things different. And, are we, uh, we going to talk about how pained Blinken looked when he said that? Oh, are you talking about? <laughs> it was literally like somebody poked him with a pin. Hmm. That, that's what his face looked like. That was amazing. I know exactly what you're talking about. Let me just, uh, you mean a little bit of this? <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. It's the picture of the guy that's got his hand on his forehead smoking a cigarette like, Jesus fucking Christ. And it's a, they've obviously photoshopped Tony Blinken's face onto it. So, yeah, to see him be mortified when Joe Biden, uh, you know, doubled down on calling Xi Jinping a dictator, something that he did, I believe, earlier this year or maybe even late last year, then while addressing the press with Xi Jinping right behind him. And, know, and when he was watching him, when he was talking in the in the other clip, it was like, watching some kid like you're an adult and you're watching some kid like play with a loaded firearm. Yep. And you're just like, Oh no, it, you know, it's weird. And, and some of the things that weren't brought up, obviously they kind of sugarcoated the fentanyl thing with, I believe the delegation that's with Xi Jinping reiterating that they're going to try and stem the flow of fentanyl coming from China to central and Latin America. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's not touch on any of that shit. That's not important. Much like the Chinese spy balloon wasn't brought up or hostilities in the Taiwan Strait. Yeah, what By the way, what was the deal with the What is with these balloons? <laughs> I like it. If we didn't have an end credit, <laughs> we'd be using that one. You know, it's pretty funny too. For as much as people like to compare Joe Biden to a relatively dead body, weekend at Bernie's even, it seems like he alluded to something much as such when talking about Dealing with people who have experienced overdoses on fentanyl. Think that sounds weird and you're scratching your head a little bit? Yeah, a little. Let's hear the 46th president. Uh, you know, uh, we're in a situation where 
we agreed that uh, fentanyl and its, precur its precursors will be curbed substantially, and the pill presses. That's a big. That's a big movement. They're doing. Uh, and by the way, uh, you know, I, I won't. I guess I shouldn't identify where it occurred, but John, I know uh, two people near where I live. Their kids literally, as that's strange, they woke up dead. Someone had inserted in. They woke up whether dead. The young man did or not. Inserted in a, a drug he was taking, fentanyl. Again, I, I don't. I hope you don't have any experience with knowing anyone, but this is the largest killer. People in that age category, and uh, you know. Uh, oh, oh, oh. What, what what is this about the pill presses? Like a pill press is a device. It is a device. It, it, what what you're gonna ban pill presses? Like they'll just make their own. The yeah. stopping the precursors from coming in and putting huge sanctions on China until that shit stops is really the only solution. And put some sanctions on Mexico too. That'd be nice. Maybe you should you know be not accepting some flights that are coming into Mexico that are really just coming here only to come to the United States. That's the truth. And, you know, have you ever known somebody that has woken up dead before? <laughs> reminds reminds me of a poem. There were some other highlights, <laughs> much like Joe Biden giving up on the teleprompter. Yeah, he's like, oh, Trump always goes off the teleprompter. It goes, goes great for him. Uh, anyway, anyway, let me, uh, huh. like I was saying, shut the fuck up. Let's see how it went for Mr. Pillpress. Leading, leading tech companies oh. like Anthropic, and, and I'm going to mispronounce. I'm not going to even try. Vagina. <laughs> it's better not to try and not mispronounce than try and mispronounce. Try and <laughs> the point mispronounce. is, small and medium-sized businesses and startups are getting into action as well. <laughs> Well, they didn't get their fucking 15 seconds of fame. It's It was bad. And, and, you know, there's also those pictures where the press are asking Joe Biden after they do, like, their joint photo ops uh, questions, and Joe Biden just has that, like, upside-down smile where his mouth is all... And he, like, open-mouth stares at Tony Blinken and then looks across at Xi Jinping and then, like, smiles and just, like, starts laughing at the press. Like, I don't know if he knows what honestly is going on. Like, if he's just so overstimulated that he just starts giggling. I think it's just his nervous tick, like Kamala Harris is cackling. Yeah. Like, he doesn't know what to do. He's like, they've told me not to get up and wander around like a fucking Roomba. So what do I do? I just sit here and I and I and just make a joke of it? Like, look around and, and be like, oh, these fucking retards. Like, come on. No, it's the truth, Noah. And, and you know, it's it's funny to see and even a lot sadder to watch. Which leads me to my next clip, last one that we're going to be doing. With this one, we're going to be jumping in with Gavin Wax of the New York Young Republican Club in just a second. Uh, but I, I think w when we talk about potential replacements, and again, I'm still 51-49, Joe Biden staying on the ticket. Whether or not they can impeach him before the election next year, that's one thing. Whether or not they manufacture some kind of a health crisis or something that removes him from the ticket or, or finds him incapable of being the Democrat nominee, whether or not there's a hijack at the DNC convention next year and they slide somebody in. A lot of people have been alluding to, we were one of the first that Gavin Newsom would be the guy. Joe Biden said just as much while speaking at the APAC conference. Let's hear it. I want to talk about Governor Newsom. I want to thank him. He's been one hell of a governor, man. Oh, oh. 
Matter of fact, he could be anything you want. He could have the job I'm looking for. Asshole. So, I mean, Joe Biden kind of, you know, it's one of those things they love he to. He can have the job that I'm looking for? Project and telegraph their oh. moves way ahead of time. And Jeez. Yeah. If, so, I, if I don't get impeached. I, I think <laughs> Gavin Newsom's going to. Well, I don't know where his stock's going to go. He's he's supposed to have over the Thanksgiving break his debate with Meatball Ron, and uh, uh, he's going to get on Boomer Sweats. Yeah, Ron DeSantis is going to get destroyed. Ron's going to get smoked. So, I mean, I I don't think that uh, people realize how tactful and and to the point Gavin Newsom could be when, when pathologically it's just lying slimy. about yeah the things in California. But you know that's neither here nor there. Uh, before we jump in with Gavin Wax, I do need to go over some of these poll numbers again. We're we're Trump light on the show today, and that is because on Friday, which is today, uh, President Trump is attending the funeral of his sister Mary, who who passed away over the course of last weekend. And uh, obviously, thoughts and prayer out out to President Trump and his whole family as they're kind of dealing with that right now. And we expect after Thanksgiving him to hit the campaign trail bigger and harder than ever before. Than ever before. New Hampshire primary poll that came out early this morning on Friday has Donald Trump at 46%. That's a 28-point advantage over Nikki Haley. He's at 18. There's nowhere on any planet that she's even close to 20%. Nope. Chris Christie's at 11. I also doubt that he's in double digits. Tons? Mm-hmm. Ramaswamy at 8%. Meatball Ron coming in at 7% and in fifth place now. Mm, Scott, Burgum, Hutchinson make up the rest of the 5% of the best of the rest. Let's see, what else do we got? I pulled a bunch of polls for today because it's good to look at these numbers. 2024 presidential election. This is an MU law poll, Michigan University. Among registered voters, uh, a group of about 900 people. Trump, 52% over Joe Biden at 48. And then among likely voters, same amount of people. Trump, 51, Joe Biden, 49. So still within the margin of error and margin of fraud, but... Numbers indicate that things are looking good for President Trump there. Uh, a Senegal poll that came out yesterday, 2024 National Republican primary. Trump, 50%. DeSantis, 9. Haley, 8. Ramaswamy, 8. Christie, 5. Scott, 1. He's no longer in the race. Hutchison, 1. Bergam, 1. Hmm. This is the first national poll, again from Single, that shows Donald Trump has a clear more than 50-point advantage over the next opponent. Here's the one that we've all been waiting for, Noah. The 2024 Iowa Republican Caucus poll. This is coming on the heels of the supposed Governor Reynolds bump after her endorsement of Meatball Ron DeSantis. Donald Trump, 54%. Ron DeSantis, 18. 36-point <laughs> advantage. <laughs> Haley, 12. Ramaswamy, 6. Christie, 3. Scott, 2. Bergam, 1. Hutchinson, 0. Mm. So definitely good to be looking in on the numbers. We'll continue to track them into the Thanksgiving week on our Tuesday edition of the show. We're going to be jumping in with New York Young Republican Club President Gavin Wax right now. But before we do... Let's hear from one of our partners. Friends, I want to take a minute and talk to you about cigars. Whether you're on the golf course, fishing on the lake, or doing some yard work around the house, our friend Alan has got you covered. He's launched the Patriot Cigar Company. The tobacco is handpicked in the fields of Nicaragua, right next to where Mike Lindell picks his coffee beans. Cigars are hand-rolled each three years. If you enter promo code STAKE here, you're going to get 15% off your total order. Every order over $100 Free shipping and a $10 e-gift card is included with every purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com. That's MyPatriotCigars.com. A premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. All right, joining us next on the show today, this big Friday edition of the State for Breakfast podcast. He's the 76th president of the New York Young Republican Club. He's also the executive director of the NCLU. Joining us, very excited to be chatting a little bit with Mr. Gavin Wax. Welcome back to the show. 
Great to be back, guys. Always good to be on Steak for Breakfast. Ooh, it's been uh, busy. I mean, there isn't anything we can't touch on that uh, you haven't been working on as well. I mean, you want to look at the uh, visit of Xi Jinping from China out to California to meet with Joe Biden and Gavin Newsom. We also have a lot of developments in the House of Representatives, failed impeachment of Alejandro Mayorkas, ongoing investigation into the Biden crime family, and another continuing resolution to get us through the holidays. And, of course, the 2024 presidential primary trail where we're always tracking and supporting the 45th president of the United States and his quest to become the 47th President Trump. Gavin, where do you want to start? I mean, we could start with Xi Jinping. I mean, I wish he would visit more American cities. It may uh, kick uh, some of our leaders in the butt to clean things up and uh, turn these cities around. But it just goes to show that uh, there certainly is uh, the ability, the the functional ability to clean up our cities of crime, of trash, of homelessness, of drugs. There just needs to be a will. The problem is, is that there's no will with these elected officials unless they're trying to impress a foreign communist dictator. So unfortunately, uh, it kind of is a, p- a positive and negative. We could still do it if we change leadership but our current leadership uh refuses to do so unless it's under certain circumstances how bad are the optics of this visit from xi jinping when you talk about how china has been dominating us since the start of joe biden's tenure uh you know you had the chinese spy balloon obviously all the stuff that's going on in in the strait of taiwan you have the amount of fentanyl that's heading into latin and central america uh all the way up through the mexican border and into the united states and it doesn't seem like anybody wanted to talk about any of that stuff. All they wanted to do was say that the planet was big enough for them to kind of uh, survive without bothering each other. Yeah, listen, I mean, we're definitely beholden to uh, to the CCP at this point. Our elected officials are in bed with them. Uh, they have been, you know, doing power moves on us repeatedly. You mentioned that the spy balloon being one of them. But it just goes to show that we're no longer in a unipolar world order. It's a multipolar world order. And uh, the Chinese are a big player in that. And uh, the United States is in many ways playing second fiddle. And we need to get our our, our economy on, on, on the right path. We need to, you know, fix this trade imbalance. We need to bring manufacturing particularly of critical you know strategic uh you know products resources uh and other things back to the united states so we're not beholden uh, economically to china in the way we are now but um you know the chinese are going to take advantage of the situation they're going to take advantage of weak leadership in washington and uh we're witnessing that in real time with this visit to uh san francisco and all these other you know uh kind of power moves uh, that the Chinese have been playing on on the U.S. geopolitically. No, it's a you nailed it right there. And I think until there's a a change in the person who sits behind the resolute desk, we're going to kind of see the same kind of stuff over the course of the next uh, little bit over a year in regards to our relationship with China and how them and Russia are kind of dominating everything that has to do with the United States. Kevin, I do want to kind of segue to the 2024 campaign trail. Donald Trump is looking stronger than ever. Obviously, shut it down a little bit this week after the uh, tragic he, you know, passing of his sister. Uh, I believe they are having the funeral for her today. But it doesn't change the fact that, you know, when you talk about some of the smaller interviews he did this week, some of the videos he put out, and and the numbers in the poll, they continue to rise for the 45th president. We've seen some huge endorsements for Donald Trump over the course of the last couple weeks. Uh, Senator Rick Scott, former HUD Secretary Ben Carson, obviously Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders, and, of course, Speaker Mike Johnson. In addition to that, you've had Tim Scott and Mike Pence drop out of the race and suspend their campaigns. I know you track this 100% as as one of the biggest things you do. What can you tell our listenership about how you're seeing the president and, and his time on the campaign trail at the moment? Listen, I think he's uh, he's a he's a trooper. He's a warrior. Uh, you know, he can 
have some of these, uh, you know, personal and family uh, losses, you know, rest in peace to uh, Mary Trump, his sister, uh, but he could still hit the hit the campaign trail uh, with a sort of gusto with a sort of, you know, force of personality that no one else has uh, in the American body politic to date. Uh, this is what makes him such a formidable political opponent, not just in the primary, which is a, which is over um, effectively, but also in the general election vis-a-vis Biden and vis-a-vis all these other potential uh, Democrat candidates. I mean, he's he's zigzagging the entire country he's holding massive events uh you know he's not missing a beat uh and it just goes to show you know he he really just runs circles around the competition both within the republican party uh and with the competing party the democrat party so uh it's great to see i'm very confident the polls have never been better never been better for this cycle never been better compared to previous cycles whether it was 16 or 20 uh you know he's doing solid polling nationally which is based on the national popular vote which i have a feeling he may actually win this time uh but he doesn't necessarily have to win it for the electoral college he's doing good at the state level polls he's doing good in the swing state polls uh he's doing good in polls that have multiple different contenders including you know third party candidates such as rfk or alan uh or um cornell west uh so you know there's a lot of reasons to be hopeful uh you know the country and the world at large is not getting any better the economy continues to deteriorate our border is continuing to be flooded fentanyl on our streets homeless on our streets trash on our streets jobs being sent overseas our dollar is going far less than it once did uh the world is burning i don't see biden and his uh his his team being able to tackle any of these issues before november of next year so a lot of these uh problems these crises you know give me hope on the flip side that will uh, usher in new leadership in washington come uh, 24 but we got to stay vigilant we got to stay on top of it no that's the thing foot on the gas and, and, and no checking in the rear view mirror always coming out like uh chris lasavita alludes to like you're 10 points behind every time you get out of bed in the morning kevin i do want you to uh Tell our listenership a little bit about the book you've got coming out. You've uh, co-written a book with the Sergeant of Arms at the NYYRC, Troy Olson, and I think it's a really important guide for a lot of, you know, people who are uh, interested in America First, but a lot of young readers out there as well. Yes, uh, thank you. Uh, the book, The Emerging Populist Majority, uh, comes out January of next year. It's a political science, political history book, but it also discusses the future trends that um, that me and my uh, that my co-author and I see for the American uh, political landscape. We we see a uh, a rising tide of populism taking over not only the Republican Party but the body politic as a whole. Uh, we see this as the governing coalition to take us into the next uh, generation of American politics the next several decades uh and we see trump as being sort of the the uh, the torchbearer of that movement but also the first in a long line uh, of future populist leaders that are going to bring about an american national renewal so we examine the trends we examine the history we go back you know all the way to the 1920s if not earlier in terms of election cycles in the united states you know incumbents and all the different dynamics that were at play all the different realignments and trends that happened uh up until the present and going into the future uh, uh, so it's definitely an interesting book. It's very, it's a pretty nerdy book, but I think it's going to be very insightful for many people to understand the current political landscape and the and the trends and where we're heading. Uh, so I'm very excited that it's going to be coming out shortly, and I think we're already seeing in real time a lot of our predictions and a lot of our, uh, you know, sort of sentiment being realized as this uh, election, you know, kind of you know trucks on. So uh, it's going to be an interesting read, and uh, hopefully uh, the first of many books to come. But uh, it will be hitting shelves, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Target any you know major distributor of books coming uh january 23rd i believe i have to double check of 2024 so just in time for some of the first uh 
uh, primary states and the Iowa caucuses. Absolutely fantastic. We'll be live linking that in the show description as well. I've pre-ordered my copy. And then last thing, Thank you. Gavin, just give us an update on the gala. It's going to be the biggest one in the history of the club. And you've added a couple more guests over the course of since the last time you talked to us. Yes, the 111th annual gala of the NYYRC is coming up December 9th, Saturday, December 9th, here in Manhattan at Cipriani Wall Street, the probably the largest, most exquisite venue in the city of New York. We just announced Congressman Matt Gates uh, will be joining us into the lineup. You know, he's uh, he's ousting speakers left, right, and center, but we want to have him as a speaker in his own right at our gala. Uh, so we're very excited. We have a huge lineup of special guests. Uh, tickets are selling fast. Uh, we are offering Black Friday discounts through Cyber Monday discounts coming up. It's a four-course meal, uh, one of the finest uh, dining establishments, not just in the city, in the world. You know, we'll have a risotto, we'll have a beautiful salad, beautiful steak, beautiful desserts, all the best food, bellinis upon entrance, open bar, all you can imagine, uh, nice black tie affair. We're hoping for some other special guests, maybe some big guests to come soon, uh, but it's going to be a star-studded lineup of all uh, the conservative and Republican who's who's of the movement. So definitely get your tickets while they're still available uh december 9th the new york young republican club gala absolutely fantastic we're going to continue to track that as we do with all the great work that you're doing up there at the club gavin we're going to be live linking the club uh the book and the nclu in the show description today but for anyone that's not following you on social media and wants to continue to track you and all the great work you're doing where can they find you Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me once again. You could follow me at Gavin Wax. That's on uh, X. I keep saying Twitter, but that's X. Instagram, Facebook, all the rest. GavinWax.com for some of my latest articles. Check out my Substack and all the rest. Uh, and thank you again. Looking forward to the next uh, episode with you guys. We'll be having you back soon. This is the president of the New-, the New York Young Republican Club. He's also the executive director of the National Constitutional Law Union. Mr. Gavin Wax, thanks for joining us on the show today and have a fantastic weekend. To you as well. Cheers. But I love this one. This is the narrative game they play. Nikki Haley decided the path to winning the GOP nomination will be feminist self-victimization. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for her. In this tweet, we have Trisha McLaughlin saying, nothing says girl power like you can't criticize me because I'm a woman. Oh, grow up. Here we go. You ready for this one? I love it. What happens? He comes out of the gate. He hits... the female chair of the party. He hits the female anchor on the platform and then he hits me and I'm not saying anything. I ain't saying I'm just saying. But he might have a girl problem. <laughs> I'm just saying he this might have the a girl. cringiest thing I have ever seen. What The Ruthless Podcast. Don't we know those guys? Who does the Ruthless Podcast? Are you, are you seriously going to sit here and just let Nikki Haley say something so stupid? Uh, I want to look up Ruthless. Is that, uh, I don't want to say who it is because I don't want to get it wrong and insult somebody. But uh, let's see, Ruth. All right, jumping back in the news here, and it was great catching up with Gavin Wax. Give a little insight into everything that's going on with the club, some of his takes on some of the biggest issues as well. We're going to have Ron Coleman in at the end of this segment. We're going to be talking about getting an update on everything legally that's going on with President Trump, a little continuation of what uh, Cash Patel unpacked for our listenership today as well. So, man. (laughs) Jeez. I know you're a big Tim Pool fan, Noah. Yeah, I listen to him a lot, actually. I like him. Certain guests that he has on, I'll listen to it. But after like the first hour, they go down some. They get off the beaten path more than I think we ever did, even when we had Nick as one of the original OG hosts. Mm-hmm. I mean, they don't fall through the tables and stuff and mm-hmm. burp and fart into the microphone. But, well, they might sometimes. But, you know, they start talking about just weird stuff. And, and man, the big thing is here with Nikki Haley was that she just – disqualified herself from running for president. Yeah, what a st- 
stupid thing to say. You know, and it, it was the thing with that post on X that I referred to earlier in the show where we kind of engaged with the Ruthless Podcast host. I don't know which one is Duncan. I don't know if that's his first or last name. But it, the thing is, it's like they were trying to disenfranchise Vivek Ramaswamy. And the point I made was, here is the Mitch McConnell delegation of the podcast wing of the conservative movement in the, within the Republican Party shitting on a single digits candidate while continuously propping up other single digit candidates. And that's Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis, their two favorites on the show in the best of the rest. And the fact of the matter is, is that you can't really look at it that way. You, you continue to make this fake multiverse of madness within the fake Republican primary where these people are essentially fighting over Donald Trump's scraps and proprieted as number one, real news. Number two, relevant. Number three, like it's something that's going to happen next year. Gals, it just isn't. Mm. Uh, I think more importantly than them going after Vivek Ramaswamy was the way that they allowed themselves to have Nikki Haley run away with this narrative about internet censorship and that every single account on every single social media platform can and must be doxxed and connected to an actual human being with photo identification. We don't even do that for fucking voting president of the United States. She wants to do that. Asinine, what an asinine thing to say. Like, we, we're not going to do it for voting. But we'll do it for Twitter. Yeah. Retarded. Much like she is. Let's hear her. No one is talking about that is, to me, a huge issue that I'll deal with as soon as I get there is social media. Mm-hmm. So when you look at social media's role in the division of our country... The first thing I'm going to do is go to those social media companies and say, you have to show us your algorithms. That in and of itself and right there should have been the end of her point. I have no problem with that. That's actually not a bad idea. You know, when we had 10,000 less followers on our X account, our show posts, when shared by the people who come on our show, let's just say it's like two Congress people. I'll throw out a Liz Harrington and maybe an attorney like Jesse Benal. They'd get 85 to 150,000 views in 24 hours. Now, we have the same amount of people, all of our congressmen and women's official accounts, share the posts. They'll be shared 50, 60, 70 times, quoted or retweeted, and we'll get 10, 15, maybe even 20,000 views on the post. So to say the algorithms aren't fucked up and are repressing conservative accounts, especially when you know big tech companies don't want people who are so influential like congressmen and women, uh, high-powered attorneys and former government officials, especially cabinet-level positions within the Trump government, uh, want their voices amplified online. They have no problem cranking down on Little Old Steak for Breakfast, just some obscure podcast out in the conservative corner of the multiverse. But then Nikki Haley would go on to continue her point. The country to see the algorithm so that you can see how these companies move. The second thing is they need to verify every single person on their outlet because and Oof. i want it by name Oof. because when what about you, smug does he because he qualify I, i've provided them with my government if, if, <laughs> if smug is on your driver's license then and look you can put smug in parentheses but so i want everybody's name because joke. guess what that mm. does it gets rid of the iranian bots the russian bots the chinese well, bots and the north it. korean bots mm. when you look at the misinformation that is causing americans to do this Who's it coming from? The Iranians and the Russians right now. TikTok, it's it's the Chinese. I have a feeling that any of the Iranian bots and the Chinese bots and stuff like that will just start using AI to create 
documents that, well, how are you going to verify it? Are you going to attach all this shit to the DMV? Uh, well, that's the truth. You know, and, and when you look at just the way that she presented it, like I said, first half, great. Let's see the algorithms. Let's see how these big tech companies, including the supposed free and fair platform on X and, and you know, everybody who kisses Elon Musk's ass is saying, like, listen, I'm thankful for one thing and one thing only. Our current Steak for Breakfast account on X is our 12th Steak for Breakfast account. It's 13th if you count my personal account, which was nuked back in 2018. I'm glad I've been able to go a calendar year without losing an account. But it doesn't say, I, what is the big deal about having an account when you're, you're essentially pissing into the wind every time you put a post out there and you literally have to send it off to 150 different people to hope that half of them share it and it's only going to get 20 30,000 views at most. Yeah, and those and those platforms are not the only thing where we're we're suspecting that there's issues. Like we, we've had the stuff where Look at Instagram. Instagram like even our emails showing up in spam folders for people that we've favorited. When we favorite ourselves and email ourselves Noah in here Noah, myself, on the show, we'll email each other, we'll favorite our accounts as, and then our emails to each other will go into our spam boxes. Yeah, my, uh, one of my favorites goes into spam. That is fucking ridiculous. And then we have these weird uh, time lapse or time lags when the show just doesn't upload until like, what, what, what was the last one? Last episode, well, two episodes ago, Apple didn't upload for 24 hours. Uh, I'm sorry, 12 hours. And, well, then, and then we had to re-upload that one time. Just to get it out on Apple. Then it came out immediately in 10 minutes. And then last episode of the show, episode 290 from Tuesday. Came out on Apple. But every then, platform. And then shows up on Spotify at 8.17 in the morning on Wednesday. So weird. It's so weird. And, uh, I mean, look at our Instagram account. I mean, maybe the the information superhighway had a traffic jam, but I, I'm kind of doubting it. Seriously doubting it. And, you know, our Instagram account used to touch over a million, a million five five, six months ago. Now our account is seen by 4,000 accounts a week. 4,000, down from a million and a half. It's a little bit of a jump. Yeah. I mean, listen, I keep harping on the guys, but maybe if Megan Kelly came in here and changed my and Noah's diapers, we'd get a little bit more push in the mainstream, but we would never do that to our listeners. I changed my own diapers, I'll have you know. Nikki Haley was challenged with and asked again about what she said in an attempt to try and save face on Fox Business, like... The day after she was on Ruthless Podcast last week, let's see if she changed her tune. When I get into office, the first thing we have to do, social media accounts, social media companies, they have to show America their algorithms. <laughs> Let us see why they're pushing what they're pushing. The second thing is every person on social media should be verified oh. by their name. Oh. That's First of all, it's a national security threat. No, when you not. do that. All of a sudden, people have to stand by what they say, and it gets rid of the Russian bots, the Iranian bots, and the Chinese bots. And then you're going to get some civility when people know their name is next to what they say. Accountability. And they know their pastor and their family member is going to see it. Mm. It's going to help our kids, and it's going to help. Okay. Noah, I know you're a big history buff. Mm -hmm. Some of the most famous letters and items that helped push and successfully achieve the American Revolution were done behind pen names of people like Ben Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, John Adams, etc. Yeah, what was the name? It was, uh, yeah, Silence Do Good. Mm. Very famous pen name. Yeah, and he had a couple other ones too. He seemed to like, uh, he seemed to like using the female names. Celia Shortface, Martha Careful. Not like the ex post that J.D. Vance, senator from Ohio, posted this week, but as much in the same heartbeat as what you're trying to 
put onto our listenership right now. No, let's hear it. Nikki Haley saw one mean tweet from like Hitler Bussy 420 and is now on a crusade against <laughs> internet <laughs> anonymity. <laughs> Thank you, Senator Vance, for posting that from your official government account. He said, <sighs> Post of the week right here. <laughs> Hitler Bussy. It's the truth, man. It's like, you know, and that's the thing. What do these tyrannical government officials want to do besides send your sons and daughters off to die in the Gaza Strip, the oil fields of Iran, and and the, you know, no-go zone in between Russia and Ukraine? They want to... Control all information. Right. When they don't agree with your opinion, they want to be able to directly contact your employer and have you fired from your job. In addition, they want you thrown in jail and, you know... She did try to do a little damage control as we're getting ready to jump in with Ron Coleman here. Let's hear her try to save face on Fox Business yesterday. We need our social media companies to verify everybody so that we can get all of those. Well, you're not really back. saying that people can't tweet. Anon- I mean, that, that, but, oh, but that's think- bad enough because that, you, you see what it's doing to, to our kids and bullying and everything I mean, else. Do so- I think life would be more civil if we were able to right. do that? Yes. Do, it's the same reason why mm-hmm. I think doxing, like, you know, you should stand by what you say. But no, like if you can have anonymous, I don't mind anonymous American people having mm-hmm. free speech. Okay. What I, I don't right. like is anonymous Russians and China and Chinese how, and Iranians having free how speech. How would the conversation? Internet doesn't work that way, sweetheart. Yeah, no, that's that's like so many of the gun control arguments one of the two vpns that i always have on lists me in either like brazil or italy so am i an anonymous chinese iranian or north korean account nikki oh god i have vpns brad (laughs) can you dox those and that's the thing you know the best part about donald trump not participating any of the debauchery going on down in the fake primary field is that these retards continue to expose themselves and disenfranchise themselves from the American voters who are going to be moving over to the Trump train. We're going to be talking about some of the legal movement that Donald Trump had in and outside of the courtroom this week right now as we're getting ready to jump in with Dylan Law Group attorney Ron Coleman. But before we do that, let's hear from one of our partners. I think it's time we had a conversation about a good night's sleep. Pillow King of Minnesota, Mike Lindell, and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family has been cranking out savings down at MyPillow for over 20 years. And for the first time in 20 years, they've changed the long-standing MyPillow and now have the MyPillow version 2.0. You enter promo code STAKE at checkout, you're going to get buy one, get one free. In addition to that, they've got great savings on all things like MyPillow dog beds, the Air Lindell version 1 and 2, My Slippers, and Giza Dream Everything. If you're more of a morning person, they've launched My Coffee. It's available in the bean, the bag, and the pod. When you enter promo code STAKE here, you're going to get 25% off your order or 50% off when you make it a monthly subscription. MyPillow.com forward slash steak for anything sleep related. If you want the coffee, MyStore.com forward slash steak. Or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative. 1-800-658-8045. All right, joining us next on the show today, this big Friday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. He's an attorney who does a little commercial litigation down at the Dillon Law Center. He's one of our great friends. Looking forward to sitting down and having a great conversation with none other than Mr. Ron Coleman. Ron, thanks for coming back to the show. My pleasure. How you guys doing? Well, you're in New York City, so probably a little bit better than you, but uh, relatively speaking, I think we're all awful. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I'm in Kearney, New Jersey right now. Oh, nice. uh, Which, you know, you could say it's better. You could say it's worse. I mean, uh, it it is an interesting thing to be in northern New Jersey these days, but, you know, there's a lot to be said for not having to traverse the Hudson River every day as I used to do. There you go. But thank God I'm vertical. 
All right, Ron, so we want to jump okay. right into this here. We got uh, some – we saw Harmeet was p- posting a lot of wins for Donald Trump inside of the courtrooms, obviously not final dispositions on any of his court cases, but we did see some big rulings this week in Michigan. Obviously, stuff in, in Colorado had fallen apart recently where they were trying to keep him off the ballot there as well. And then I do want to touch on just maybe your commentary on some of the things that have happened development-wise regarding the Miami cases and, and stuff that's going on in, in the Manhattan trial as well. I think uh, if you want to jump into that and take our listenership through some of the stuff, at least that you guys are working on – and then some commentary sure. on the other. That'd be great. Well, I'm, uh, I actually was uh, privileged to work on a lot of the election uh, litigation stuff that we've been doing. Uh, you know, I, the Michigan case and the Colorado case, and we've got one in Rhode Island. Um, when we've got one in New York and we're doing very well and it's low hanging fruit. What's going on is, there are people, and in fact, to a large extent, it's one person, one lunatic, a guy named Castro, who goes from state to state um, suing the attorney general of the Board of Elections for an injunction or for an order demanding that Donald Trump be removed from the ballot because he took place in an insurrection. Uh, it, it, it's, the, it's one of the post-Civil War amendments, which was meant to keep Confederate officials out of government and which was pretty much brushed aside by judicial action by con- congressional action shortly you know after lincoln died uh, dur- so th- so the point is it's got nothing to do with donald trump it also has nothing to do with the attorney general or the, or any other state officer or board of election it's an entirely federal thing only congress really has the ability well one of the provisions of this constitutional provision is that even if someone is deemed to have taken part in an insurrection, which Donald Trump certainly didn't do anyway, uh, Congress has the ability to simply vote on whether that person should be excused from that provision. That's one reason why an attorney general or a board of elections can't make these decisions. So we've been consistently telling the judges that this is a political question and the federal courts have consistently ruled that they've got nothing to do with this. And so far we've, we've done well and we've got some good rulings and some good language that might be helpful uh, further down the line. Um, in terms of New York, it's a, you know, the, the criminal case, I'm not involved in that, but like everyone else, I'm watching it and it's, right. a, it's an utter clown show. <laughs> it's a circus. And it is really a, um, it's, it's a shame. I mean, there's, we have a word in Yiddish, a, a, sh- a, a Shanda, it is, it is something for us to be ashamed of. Our legal system makes it possible to prosecute, you know, a former president of the United States over uh, business practices that have damaged no one and that, or, you know, all the reasons why it's a, why it's a ridiculous prosecution. But the fact that the judge there has turned out to be such a, such a, um, goofy and out of control and incompetent yeah. uh you know match for their goofy and out of control and incompetent attorney general this goes to show how how great is our task yeah when i when i saw the the 90s sitcom music posed over the the judge like people walking in the courthouse and he takes his glasses off and it was just like i thought that was really a skit a skit i didn't think it was real <laughs> yeah, it's been, it's been goofy to watch that whole thing go down. And, 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 you know, the sad part about it is for as much as 
we see a lot of these cases falling apart both in standing in the courtroom and, and just the overall legality of it, whether it's a state charges or, or things that are weighed against the Constitution. The, the fact of the matter is, is that Donald Trump is paying a lot of money to be represented and, and to, you know, provide a defense for himself in regards to all these things, which takes it back to the definition of, of you know, actual lawfare, which is what we're seeing here. And, uh, you know, they're trying to disenfranchise Donald Trump's run for the Republican nomination right now. They're also trying to invoke fear in the people that are, are his closest and most adamant supporters, I feel. And, uh, you know, wait till we're done with Donald Trump and we start doing all this stuff to you. He's still a billionaire and you're not. You know, you're just some attorney or you're just some former administration That's official right. or surrogate. And, you know, we even had a congresswoman on here last week when uh, the vote came up for the new FBI headquarters and there was 70 Republicans who sided with the Democrats to fund it. And we asked her, we said, uh, you know, Representative Sparks, do you think there's, you know, in the back of these people's minds, a little bit of fear if they're seen on the wrong side of the vote for funding the new FBI headquarters that they could feel that they might be targeted down the road? She's like, absolutely. And I'm just like, this is kind of the world we live in right now. It's mm-hmm. it's definitely not one that, you know, the founders and the framers saw when when they banged it out a couple hundred years ago. But uh, unfortunately, that's the times we're living in. It is extraordinary just how much of our system, how many norms, how many standards, how many, what level of self-respect the other side has been prepared to jettison merely to prevent one man from achieving what he was elected to do. It is mind boggling. Mm -hmm. It is, you know, and, and, you know, obviously very illuminating. We've learned a great deal and it's stuff that we had to learn, but, uh, we've got a fight on our hands and I think we're going to be fighting it for the rest of my life. Yeah, we're definitely going to be fighting it. It looks like past the next election, uh, in in the short term sense, as we saw things develop down in the in the Miami case, this, the special documents case that's going on down there, and uh, Judge Cannon, who's been kind of no nonsense and, and playing it by the book since the beginning. Not every single ruling that she's you know given out has been in favor of Donald Trump, but where it comes back to like common sense and normalcy, it seems like she has, which is good at least for the legal sense of it. When you see her, you know, pushing back on Jack Smith for trying to kind of pad the stats before they even get into the courtroom, like, you know, moving things back and forth between there and Washington, D.C., et cetera, how, how do you feel that one's going to shape up? I think out of all the in-court decisions that we're going to probably get this entire primary cycle, that's probably going to be the, the least biased and fairest of them all. I think you're right. I mean, it, it it's really troubling that you have to, you know, depend on, who appointed a judge to get, you know, a modicum of justice. But as you said before, here we are. That's exactly, that's exactly where we are. Um, and I think you're right. I think, I mean, I mean, you've essentially stated something that is axiomatic that if someone is being prosecuted in courtrooms in New York city, Washington, D.C., and anywhere else in America, he'll do better in anywhere else in America if he's Donald Trump. Yep. Uh, and the fact that he, I mean, and listen, I've been in front of some, some judges in the Southern District of Florida who are every bit as bad as what we've seen in D.C., not in political cases, but just in terms of competence uh, on the bench and responsibility. Uh, and from time to time, it looks like in Florida, 
they actually still randomly assign cases. Um, I have I have no actual reason or basis to know uh, otherwise, but I find it very hard to believe that judges are being randomly assigned in, in many of the other courts where I practice. No, you have to just look Let's at the, yeah, all the cases that are going down right now, and if these ones aren't handpicked by people like Letitia James, and they're coming down with uh, a little bit of nudging probably from the U.S. Department of Justice, as as often Donald Trump has alluded to. So, Ron, we're going to be uh, wishing you a happy Thanksgiving, and, and we're glad you were able to jump Thank in you. and give us an update today. Uh, we're obviously going to be live linking all the great stuff you've got going on, your website, of course, links to your podcast, the Combination you. podcast as well. But for anyone that's not following you on social Thanks. media and wants to check you out, where can they find you? Best place to find me is, is on Twitter or X, at Ron Coleman, spell it with an E, R-O-N-C-O-L-E-M-A-N. Pretty much everything I do, I end up broadcasting it there. But for God's sake, people, subscribe to my YouTube channel. It's so pathetic. I can't get to 10,000. I've got 237,000 on Twitter. And I just, for, I hang out with a lot of YouTubers. It's embarrassing. Go subscribe to uh, Lawyer Ron Coleman on YouTube. You'll find me. But the main thing is to have a good, believe in God, thank him on Thanksgiving. Remember, Thanksgiving is thanking God. It's not just like generic thankiness, okay? Your thank, gratitude requires to be an object to your gratitude. The object is the giver of all good in this world. And keep that in mind and everything will be okay. Thanks for having me on, guys. No, it's been absolutely fantastic catching up with you. And we'll be looking to do this again very soon. This guy's doing some commercial litigation down at the Dillon Law Center. He's doing a lot of fighting for America First inside the courtroom. This is none other than Mr. Ron Coleman. Thanks for joining us on the show today and have a great weekend. You're welcome. Catch you guys later. What is a bad day for you, Secretary Mayorkas? Because we see now that the numbers have exploded. They're no longer 1,000 a day. They're not even 4,000 a day when this article was written. They're over 11,000 a day. And so in the last 20 seconds, what number to you represents a bad day when we see the number of apprehensions um, increase dramatically? So I'll give you the remainder of my time to answer the question, and I'll yield back. Uh, Vice Chairman, uh, guest, uh, we do not minimize the significance of the challenge at the southwest border. Oh, God. Uh, and we are intensely focused on it. Is there a number? Would you like to give a number? I asked for a number. That was my question. What, what number to you represents a bad day? And are you refusing to answer the question? Vice Chairman, uh, guest, uh, as I said, we do not minimize the significance <clears throat> of the challenge at the Southwest. Ooh, Colonel McGregor. That, that wasn't my question, Mr. Mayorkas. My, I, I ask a simple question. Give me a number. And you're filibustering and you're refusing to answer the question. What is that number? I, I have answered your question. No, you haven't, Mr. Mayorkas. You've not answered the question. I can do hand signals. At this point, right? <laughs> Mr. Ivey, if you let him answer the question, or maybe if you would like to answer for him, because clearly he does not intend to answer my question. Mm. I, I think it's, you know, you've Is taken... it not a fair question? Thank Mr. You. Chairman, I would ask you, you to direct the witness to answer the question. Do you have a number? I, I have answered it to the best it, of my ability, Mr. Chairman. It, uh, clearly. <laughs> clearly. <laughs> The best of my ability. Yeah, well, you've seen your best of your ability, you fucking piece of shit. That was the former co-captain of the Beverly Hills men's Ollie? varsity tennis team, Alejandro Ali Mayorkas, who's got a little wind in his sails after beating impeachment request volume one on the House floor this week. Disappoint. Him and douchebag number two, Christopher Ray, were before the GOP Homeland Oversight Committee 
yesterday in a what we're tabbing as an open borders hearing because mm-hmm. that's exactly what it is. Now, no, I know you you saw a couple clips from this on social media. We talked about it. Obviously, you know we have a really good relationship with all the men and women who listen to Steak for Breakfast that work on the border. They're always sending us little receipts. They're even correcting us when we're wrong. Mm. We did get an email recently. Um, you know, we, we always try to use the fast version of the people who work along the southern border and say U.S. Customs and Border Patrol. I, I, in my mind, put a semicolon in between U.S. Customs, semicolon, and Border Patrol, two different entities. But they clearly laid it out for us as apparently CBP works at the places that are known as ports of entry and Border Patrol are more people who are out patrolling the remote areas in between said ports. Mm-hmm. So, I think it's, uh, you know, the Border Patrol plays hide-and-seek, and the CBP people come to them. More like capture the flag. <laughs> <laughs> Red Rover. I like it. And, uh, you know, we love the interactions with our listenership and, and, and when they kind of clarify for stuff. At the end of the day, we know. We just try to make it as uh, quick and broad for our listenership as possible. So thanks for the email, and, uh, you know, thanks for your listenership as well. Yeah. So Alejandro Mayorkas and Christopher Ray again, we're up in front of committee. You know, it's a lot of printouts, videos, testimony from whistleblowers. Data. It's a lot of data. Lots of data that I don't have. I've I've answered the question to the best of my ability, which is setting kind of a low bar. Yeah, it's bad. Much like the case with the amount of people who are probably connected to terrorist organizations like Hamas and, and Hezbollah, mm. which have definitely crossed our U.S. southern border over the case of the last three years now. And it's frightening numbers. And frightening numbers are the ones that we know about. And we can't stress enough that the shit that we don't know about is what you have to worry about the most. Yeah, it's it's wild to watch that these guys squirm in their chair when they know... They know that these people have came in. They know what these people potentially can do. And, and they unbiasedly re- have released them into the country and have no idea where they've gone. It pales and contrasts to the amount of people just wholeheartedly who have come in, which is now, you know, hovering around 10 million, definitely well over that mark when you include getaways. And it was up to, uh, you know, some of these congressmen like Dan Bishop to lay it on him yesterday. Let's hear him. Secretary Secretary Mayorkas, in your testimony, both written and oral today, you said the world has changed since Hamas's attack in October. What's changed about Hamas? Oh, uh, Hamas has been and continues to be a terrorist organization. Exactly. Exactly. And so does Hezbollah. And so do all the others, including Al-Qaeda. Nothing's changed. And you have supervised elective policies that have allowed this level of flow into the United States. Isn't that true? That is not true. Oh, you haven't done it electively. Mm. You couldn't have changed anything to, to, to atten- attenuate the flow. Is that your testimony? Congressman, um, our policies are directed at securing uh, the border. Can you give me a quick answer? What? Are your policies, could you have changed anything to attenuate the flow? Congressman, we are seeking to address the flow every single day. Boy, that's amazing. And you've continued to say that sort of thing, and I just don't, I agree with Mr. Higgins, it doesn't warrant uh, much asking. Let me... Yeah, address the flow? You mean process faster? Mm. Well, we saw the only money that was directed to border security in the latest request for foreign aid 
and I'm talking about Ukraine and Israeli funding, had uh, two stipulations, one to process the people who are currently in detention along the U.S. southern border into the United States faster, Mm -hmm. and then the other money was going towards third world countries on the path up to the United States to make sure that everyone's trip here is comfortable and yes, as accommodating as possible. Maybe he means address, like addresses for the fake sponsors that the children are going to. Uh, no, it's, it's you know, these guys, they know that their days are numbered and that their numbers are up. I, I feel like the way the House is moving now in sending the impeachment articles back to committee, you know, when you have those people who are just stubborn SOBs like Daryl Issa and some of the other ones who are connected to the employment and labor sectors who know that they don't want to cut off their cash cow for the amount of cheap labor that's coming into the United States. It's sad to see, but at the end of the day, if the America First congressmen and women who are working to get those articles of impeachment back to the floor after they get testimonies from places like this committee, which happened yesterday, then we'll be more than likely to get a vote that will impeach Alejandro Mayorkas and have him as, you know, the first cabinet level position to be impeached in the modern era, which will be a huge thing. And we'll set a new precedent. There's a lot of firsts coming out of this administration. Yeah. I mean, that would be a big W for house Republicans and whether or not, you know, it passes the Senate. I think when you look at the legalities of it, just the fact that Alejandro Mayorkas has administratively changed policy and ignored court rulings in addition to the fact that him and Joe Biden collaborated in erasing all of the Trump era policies as part of Agenda 45 on day one, simply because they were Donald Trump's, uh, it, it puts pressure on those people in the Senate, especially ones running for election next year, even more so if they're in border states or states that are ran by, let's just say, blue governors who are now inundated with migrants everywhere to kind of vote in favor of impeaching Alejandro Mayorkas and then what can you do if, if it gets through the Senate? So we'll, we'll have to see what happens. But, you know, we're going to continue to look in on this hearing a little bit. Rep McCall had Christopher Ray up and, and was talking about the substantial threat that's stemming from a lot of these terrorists who've been released into the United States. We're going to hear him in a sec. Director Ray, we've had over about 7.5 million encounters at the southern border. Um, we've had 7,000 special interest aliens. We've had 200, nearly 200 on the terror watch list. When I chaired this committee, that was the first, and when I got the briefings, first question I ever asked was, how many SIAs, how many on the terror watch list? If I was, 200 is alarming to me. Does that give you concern? Uh, Certainly, the numbers give us concern. Uh, I think it's important, though, in some ways, to realize that it's numbers alone don't even really tell the problem. And we've all seen how much damage just a small number uh, of foreign terrorists could cause. I mean, sometimes people, as crazy as it sounds, tend to forget that it was 19 people who killed 3,000 people. That was the next point I was going to make. It only took 19 to create 9-11. And we all know Joe Biden has compared other things to like 15 9-11, so... It's pretty wild. And, you know, these guys, they were squirming. I think we've had them in and out of committee so much over the course of this session of Congress that you're starting to see them get above the shock factor and the posterizations of these cabinet-level and presidentially-appointed positions. I think we're starting to see, once we get inside the numbers, 
we start looking at the countries that these people, I mean, there's a lot of Americans out there that are just starting to come to terms with the fact that we've let tens of thousands of Russians and Ukrainians into the United States since the conflict in, in Eastern Europe exploded a year and a half ago. In addition, how many people we've let in from, from terrorist related States. And, and now you have, you know, nations in Europe and Israel starting to push the fact that they want to send all the Gaza refugees over to the United States as well. When you have countries adjacent to Israel, like Lebanon and Jordan and Israel that want nothing to do with these people. So what are you going to do? Just dump them into the middle of major cities in the United States. I mean, these people come from some of the most extreme poverty in the history of the galaxy. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're ran by a government who's a terrorist organization, one of the biggest ones on the face of the planet. And you're going to take all the people that have been governed by said organization and send them over to Chicago and Los Angeles, San Francisco, Washington, D.C., and New York City? It's fucking wild. The world we're living in right now. And, you know, you you have to be able to take into account if we don't find some kind of consequence that we were going to be able to stick to these guys. I mean, Christopher Ray should have been gone years ago and Alejandro Mayorkas, they, they better figure out a way to get this impeachment to stick because what's going on in the U S Southern border right now, it's well beyond a human trafficking, humanitarian crisis, child trafficking, sex trafficking crisis is well beyond that. You know, fentanyl, that's just a, a, a key term. Now it's not even, that's a microcosm of what's going on down there. Um, the amount of people that have snuck into the United States as part of getaways who are mo- more than likely linked to terrorist organizations, that's the real concern that Americans is. What are you going to do when these guys walk into malls during the holiday season, schools where there's kids, uh, you know, subway stations or bus terminals in major cities, and, and just start blowing stuff up and, and popping off? You know, it's going to be too little too late at that point. What are you going to do? Drag Alejandro Mayorkas and Christopher Ray back to committee and say, look at what you guys did. Uh, you know, well, uh, it, it wasn't my fault. It was, uh, we didn't have the data. No. And everything that we're seeing with the, the rhetoric with the colonizers and combatants and stuff like that, like I said before, it is opening the gates to normalize insurgency inside the United States. Yep. And and for for these idiot leftist liberal retards to just go like, well, we deserved it because we're, we're a colonizing country. We are combatants because of our status. I don't know if you saw it last night, Noah. A great friend of the show did a speaking event at the University of Michigan, Josh Hammer. And uh, we're friends with Josh. You know, we know that he's supporting Ron DeSantis in his campaign for president. But, you know, when it comes to down to the nitty gritty, we don't weigh our friendship on who you support for the president of the United States. Cause here's the thing at the end of the day, when it comes to next November, Josh is only going to have one choice to vote for. And he said it on the show more than once. He's, you know, 100% in to vote for Donald Trump if he becomes a Republican nominee. But he did a speaking event last night at the university of Michigan. Don't quote me if I'm wrong, but I believe it was anti-Semitism and the rise of it in the United States. And guess what? It was shut down by a bunch of free Gaza sympathizers perfect and then you saw this week there was another insurrection up on capitol hill not only was the house and senate locked down while they were voting which is impeding an official process but the democrat national committee building which is right next door to the halls of congress had to be shut down too because people were supporting gaza and the ceasefire in israel and tried to break in to the building while it was during operating hours and there were capitol police that responded to this and you know half a dozen police officers went to the hospital because of it well, I'll be standing by for the 10-year prison sentences and being held in a gulag without trial 
for two years. Much like the assault that happened outside of the White House last week, and Mike Collins, the representative from Georgia who was on our show Tuesday, mm-hmm. alluded to, guess how many people were arrested? Uh, zero. Just one. Just one? Yeah. Is, all, that because, all, is that because he got lost and couldn't find his way back to the van pool? Either that or apparently he assaulted all six police officers by himself, but which we know isn't the case. No. And uh, it's like Mike Collins alluded to. I guess he, you know, the one person that they arrested from the D.C. protest last weekend, you know, took the red paint and put his hands all over the fence and all over the national monuments in Washington, D.C. Mm. It's pathetic to watch. Well, maybe maybe he got arrested because he had the red paint, right? And he was wearing a hat, and then he went to go take his hat off, and then they thought it was a red hat. They thought it was a MAGA hat? Yeah. I like where That's you went That's probably why they arrested him. Here's the thing. They had a march for Israel this week in Washington, D.C. Nearly 300,000 people participated. Wow. Guess how many things were broken? Zero. Guess how many police officers were assaulted? Zero. Guess how many places without a permit they impeded to and shut down official proceedings of Congress? Zero? Zero. Were there any red hats? Yeah, there were a lot of red hats. <laughs> I, I do I do like the Israel cape wearing guy with the MAGA hat. That's kind of <laughs> it's it's kind of based. Yeah. But you know, which entails to the thing that I've just been talking about, which is some of the testimony we're gonna look at right now that Christopher Ray gave. You want to take all these people from all over the world and dump them into the hearts of liberal ran states, major cities. You essentially turn every state in the United States into a border state. Christopher Ray was forced to admit that during this hearing as well. Let's hear him. That, that, that watch list that we talk about. Uh, why do you think in four years before this, there were only 11 and suddenly there are uh, 294 in the past few years? Why do you think that's so? I can't. I can't really speak to you know to to that issue. God. Not, not in my lane. I can tell you that the threats that come from the other side of the border uh, are very much consuming all 56 of our field offices, not just in the border states. Uh, that's why I made the point. For sure, I, I, I agree. Yeah. What, if I heard you correctly, what you just said is not every state in the country is a border state now. Is that what you just said? Well, I didn't. I mean, the threats to every that way, but the threats that come from the other side of the border are affecting every state. Absolutely, one hundred percent. Can't disagree with them. There, Mm -hmm. it's probably the only truthful thing that Christopher Ray said up on Capitol Hill throughout the entirety of you know all the hearings he's been through, stemming back to the ones from last year where he had a plane to catch instead of testifying before Chuck Grassley. You know, it was funny as well. Uh, he deferred a question on the 51 former intelligence officials, including people like Brennan and Clapper, to Alejandro Mayorkas when challenged from some of the members of the Department of Homeland Security Oversight Committee. He lobbed one to Ali? And, uh, you know, Alejandro Mayorkas has served it right back up to him with the textbook. Uh, I, do, I don't have the data on who signed that letter. I would be happy to uh, get that information to your office as as soon as the data exists. <laughs> But much like Cash Rattel alluded to in the beginning of the show, Christopher Ray and Alejandro Mayorkas probably, you know, hosted all of those people who signed that letter mm-hmm. saying that the Hunter Biden laptop was Russian disinformation for dinner then before, you know, pushing it out there to the American people. Um, moving on right here, and I think it's a great way to wrap this up before we're getting ready to jump in with Arizona House candidate Abe Hamaday, who's circling back following the 2022 midterm elections, is... Representative Higgins, who we're trying to get on the show. I feel like he's going to be here. Most likely House representative to challenge you to a duel. Mm. Sometimes wears a pocket watch. He'd bring back dueling. That'd be awesome. He's always dressed for success, and he has absolutely had it. He was fuming, much in the same sense as Chip Roy was, uh, after Alejandro Mayorkas was not impeached this week. And uh, 
serves them up a little dish of what's coming down the pike. I believe now we are with Mr. Higgins, the gentleman from Louisiana. Sir, you're recognized for five minutes of questioning. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Mr. <laughs> Chairman, ultimately, as we consider threats to the homeland in our annual hearing on that topic with, with leading members of the executive branch before us, it's important to reflect upon the simple fact that ultimately Americans are quite capable of defending our own soil, our own cultures and communities against foreign invasion or against armed oppression from within. However, it's far more threatening to our republic if our own government facilitates criminal invasion mm. And it is incredibly threatening to our citizenry if our government's highest levels of law enforcement coordinate organized campaigns mm. of weaponized oppression, oppression, harassment, investigation, arrest and prosecution, and imprisonment of free Americans. That, Mr. Chairman, is the primary threat our homeland indeed faces today. Secretary Mayorkas, I've noted you as a worthy adversary, sir, for two and a half years. What? He's challenging him to a duel. My issue is not with you today. I'm done with you. I've completed my investigative work. Uh, thank you. It's quite extensive. I've filed my articles of impeachment against mm. you, and I've, I've provided my investigative work to the appropriate committee. So let me just say that my articles have been filed, and... My time with you is done. Uh, thank goodness. I thought that was a scene out of Tombstone. Right? Does he have a big mustache? You know Clay Higgins. He wears the glasses, the bald guy. I know, but he, if he had a mustache. Always dressed up like he had a shootout at the OK Corral right yeah. before he came uh, into like the community. Like He's got a duster in his uh, quiver of costumery. Almost certainly does. <laughs> I can see him wearing, not a, not, not a super tall one, but an actual top hat. I could see him pulling that off. Top hat, yeah. There's not a whole lot of top hats going on lately. Mm. I'm going to talk to my Collins over the weekend and see if we can start making top hats great again. <laughs> oh, my God. Segwaying here and getting ready to jump in with Abe Hamaday. I do have two little more items for the show. First of all, we did a steak for breakfast poll out on, I know everybody doesn't care, especially our listenership, about the drama that's going on over at the Daily Wire. Ever since the attack that Hamas committed against Israel, um, on October 7th of this year, everyone's seen Ben Shapiro just melting down every day on social media. If you don't 100% and unbiasedly support Israel in every way, shape, or form, no matter what happens, you're like an anti-Semite, this, that, and the other thing. You can't have any other opinion except Ben's. And, you know, Candace Owens sat down with, who I can't stand either, I don't like either of them, sat down with Tucker Carlson this week, and they kind of broke down Ben's behavior. And, and you know, they've been spatting back and forth where it's like Ben Shapiro saying, if you don't like what I'm doing at the Daily Wire, then quit. And Candace Owens, in an attempt to probably monetize the situation, saying, like, your behavior is unacceptable. So I put out a poll on our on our X account. Um, over 500 people participated. And here's the poll. The recent public spat between the Daily Wire personalities, Ben Shapiro and Candace Owens, is choice A, fake. Choice B, gay. Choice C, both. <laughs> In an overwhelming majority of the votes, 66% said both. Gay came in second at 22%, and fake came in at 12 
So I did want to kind of throw out that poll out there. Whenever we throw them out on our social media, we like to give you guys the results on the show. Thanks to everyone that participated and shared it. And in our last audio clip of the week, Joe Rogan had a little fun with one of the themes we like to use here on Steak for Breakfast, and that's how a lot of the things that happened in the world, and especially up on Capitol Hill, correlate to a lot of the scripts that are written for the Marvel movies. And for as much as we've used Marvel clips as part of the end credits on our shows, often and always, it's always good when we see larger personalities like Joe Rogan use them to describe the way Donald Trump was well-received at Madison Square Garden this weekend when he showed up with Don Jr., Tucker Carlson, Dana White, Kid Rock, etc. Let's play the clip in here. What's your take on this whole Trump trial? Because one of the wildest aspects of it is that every time they go after him, he rises in the polls. And you know, he was at the UFC this weekend in Madison Square Garden, mm-hmm. and he's showed up at the UFC before. And the response back then was a lot of cheers. There were some boos. This is mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Now, when he walked out of Madison Square Garden, it was fucking bananas. Really? It Went was crazy. the yeah. whole place was cheering. He walks out to Kid Rock's American Badass <laughs> with Kid Rock oh, and Tucker Carlson walking in like the right-wing Avengers, <laughs> and the place went nuts. He's on the screen, oh, and I'm God. telling you, the 99% other than Bill Burr's wife, 99% Well, of Bill the Burr's people, wife, yeah. yeah there that was, was that. Yeah. Yeah. That's a Bud Light moment right there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can, can you hear it? Oh, no. Give me some volume. Why isn't it? Oh, they're Noah's fucking up. Mm. Mm. See if we can get some volume, because I'm telling you, the fucking cheers of the crowd were nuts. I mean, it was overwhelmingly in support of him, and it lasted a long time. I mean, it was a roll. Making his way into the building. One of the bigger mixed martial arts fans, I know President Donald Trump. Taking his octagon loud. for UFC <laughs> two. That's crazy. We got two title fights coming up at UFC 295 here in a matter of moments. Live from Madison Square Garden. I mean, you had to hear what the crowd sounded like before he walked in, and then when he did. I mean, it was just overwhelming cheers That's for like yeah. over a minute. I mean, just imagine a minute of people screaming at the top of their lungs. Yeah. And it's like people don't even cheer that long when there's a knockout in the ring. Mm-mm. And, you know, several of the fighters paid homage to Donald Trump. And you know, it speaks volumes for the fact that it, it's nice to see that. And we don't agree with I don't agree with an overwhelming majority of the stuff that Joe Rogan provides on his show. However, we have seen him wake up to understand the way the world works and that some of the big things, including those monetarily and as far as the safety and security goes for his family over the last three years has declined a lot. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think one of the best things that he's ever said regarding when he moved to Texas is you can't go to Texas fleeing a place that fucked up everything and then vote for Texas to fuck up everything, which is unfortunate. That's what's happening in Texas still. I'm still waiting for Donald Trump to appear on Joe Rogan. I think it would be fantastic. Um, I think it would be an interview, even outside of Tucker, like one that's never been conducted before, because 
they could have a script completely agreed to, and there's no way that Joe Rogan sticks to it. Oh, no, no. I, I think that's part of the fear that goes into it, but but eventually uh, Donald Trump said we'll see what happens. Well, he would be able to hold his own regardless. Whatever whatever comes up, he would just be like, yeah, whatever. There's very few people that can. I have faith in, in the 45th president that he'd be able to do so as well. Also, an update on us. Let's do Joe Biden just for fun. We got a new request for President Trump to appear on steak for breakfast in to Natalie Harp over on the Trump team. She's, you know, one of those adjacent to the president as part of this. We've tabbed him here, the inner circle, and and near the center of the universe that is Donald Trump as the sun. And we'll see what happens. Uh, you know, it was crazy. We got connected last, last week. We had a bunch of people via text message and stuff, myself included, talking to Chris Lasavita, Jason Miller, Susie, Brian Jack, and uh, Stephen Chong. But Here's the thing. The Trump family had a little bit of a tragedy with the passing of Donald Trump's sister this week, and uh, it wasn't a week where they were probably doing a whole bunch of scheduling. So we'll be looking to hear back from them and and hopefully have the 45th president on the show at some point uh, over the course of the next year. And uh, we're going to be jumping in with Aid Hominday right now as part of our 2024 candidate series continues. But before we do that... Let's hear from one of our partners. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Battleborn Coffee Roasters. They're law enforcement, family-owned, and they produce some of the best available specialty-grade coffee. That means all those beans have gone through an extensive process to remove all defects. Battleborn researches all their sources, farms, and milling stations to make sure you're not getting any pesticides or chemical fertilizers. Sit back and have a cup of their Borderline Mexico Chiapas blend while you're out sitting on an X or sitting in the office. High-quality coffee from high-quality people. Use promo code STEAK for 20% off your first order. Make sure you go check them out at battleborn.coffee. All right, joining us next on the show today, this Big Friday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast and continuing in our 2024 candidate series, we're going to be sitting down again for the first time with the man who's running to make Arizona 8 great again, Mr. Abe Hamaday, returning back to the show. Welcome. Thank you. Good to be with you guys. I hope everybody saw what I did there. Abe, you were one of the candidates we tracked greatly in the 2022 election cycle. Obviously, we know recently you announced your candidacy to run for a house seat in Arizona 8. We're extremely excited about that. Equally as excited to have you back on the show. What's the latest you could tell our listenership about not only what went into leading up to your candidacy, but how the campaign trail has been since you've announced? Yeah, absolutely. So we actually announced our campaign uh, really suddenly because of the retirement of Congresswoman Debbie Lesko. And uh, I got a call from Carrie Lake. She told me, she says, Abe, I'm going to the Senate and I need you I need you in the House. So I need you in D.C. with us. we got to help President Trump. So we announced that same day. But also what was interesting was on that day, we got sanctioned by the Supreme Court of Arizona for our election lawsuit. So, you know, it was kind of, and we're still fighting our election battles, actually. We have two ongoing ele- election lawsuits related to the 2022 election, where if your listeners don't know, I mean, I'm sure everybody knows what happened in Arizona yep. last year. It was uh, despicable. And, you know, everybody saw it with their own eyes. But we, you know, the final tally showed us down 280 votes out of 2.5 million. And there's still 9,000 uncounted ballots, believe it or not. So, you know, the defenders of democracy, I think, you know, the self-proclaimed defenders of democracy, they really showed their hand. And now they're trying to ban President Trump from the ballot. You know, we're, we're, it's very interesting times. So when I decided to announce for Congress, it's the district that I grew up in. In many ways, uh, I have a lot of ties with the district because it was the first home that my family actually built. You know, we started off poor, um, you know, as poor in uh, my family immigrated here from Syria back in the 80s. But it was one of the first homes that I felt like we finally made it, like finally made the American dream. Right, two story house, three car garage it was really, really beautiful. But, you know, I, I know at the federal level, 
you know, our our country is hurting and it's because of this Joe Biden disastrous policies. I mean, just look all around the world. You know, every single policy you can name that Democrats implement has turned into chaos and misery. So I think when we go into D.C., we need President Trump to win back the White House. We need Carrie Lake to win the Senate. And what right now, what we need more than ever in Congress is our people with common sense, conviction, and most of all, courage. And that's what I'm going to bring uh, to the House of Representatives next year. No, when you look at it from top to bottom, you mentioned President Trump obviously getting him back in the White House is, I think, a lot of people, especially in America First, subjective. Then when you talk about the Senate and and with the impending retirement of Joe Manchin, you've got uh, Governor Justice who looks like he's going to walk to that Senate seat there. That brings it back to 50-50. It essentially makes Carrie Lake, you know, part of the balance of power, which would shift in the the U.S. Senate, which is where a lot of the things that they're passing in the House of Representatives, let's just say H.R. 2, the 2023 Border Security Act, has been gummed up in essentially DOA. Uh, because of the Chuck Schumer-controlled Senate, and Joe Biden is obviously occupying the White House. And then in the House of Representatives, the only way your guys are going to be able to have that legislation pushed up to the Senate is if you retain the balance of power in the House, which is what you're trying to contribute to to next year. I just want you to touch on that a little bit more, uh, Abe, and talk about how important it is about not just focusing on who's at the top of the ticket, but the only way we're going to be able to pay, get that big Agenda 47 uh, pushed through and, and you know benefiting the American people is if we have all three chambers working together. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's what Carrie called me back on October 17 when I announced. It was because of that same reason that you mentioned. We it's you know, this is a multi-dimensional war that we're facing, and we need to put all of our troops into the positions. And you know, the House of Representatives, what makes it unique, it's the people's house. You're the you're the closest body to the people that you're supposed to represent. And for too long, I think we've all seen that Republicans I mean, look at they haven't they have not been giving many policy wins for the voters that have voted for them. So something that I know is election integrity matters to most Republicans. I mean, this is one of the top issues we've got to focus on and why we need President Trump and Carrie Lake in there is because they too also know election integrity is the one of the most important issues to focus on. So yes. that that's what we mean is we need to have people in these supporting roles because it all leads to how are we going to make America great again and, and move forward this America first movement that we've built. I mean, you see the establishment is so concerned right now because they no longer have the grip and the reins of power on the party like they used to because the the voter the voter base has awakened completely. And that's why you're seeing them unify behind President Trump. That's why Carrie Lake is getting uh, a lot of support here in Arizona. She's going to win the primary handily. So people are, they're, they're they're waking up. They know who the fighters are. You know, you can't really trick the voters like you once could. And I think the establishment has lost control of that. So what do we got to focus on in the House of Representatives is making sure that we get the funding for the border wall when President Trump's in. We got to make sure that we're going to start going after a lot of these universities who take all this money from foreign entities that are then indoctrinating these students to be promoting terrorists. And that's what's happening. So, you know, th- it's going to be a battle, but I'm looking forward to having a partner like Carrie Lake in the Senate with me representing Arizona. No, oh, it's going to be fantastic. And uh, as we segue here, uh, Abe, I do want to talk about a couple of other things that are kind of, I think you could give us a little bit of insight to, you know, one of the things that we saw, we, we didn't figure out a way to kind of work it into the show, but I, I know that you've touched on it. And, and I, I think it's something that, you know, our listenership really needs to understand. I know that you've been tracking Bin Laden's letter to America has kind of resurfaced on, on social media applications, especially TikTok, and it's exploded 
amongst young potential voters of, of just kind of like absolutely reading history the wrong way, no matter which way you look at it. And, and all of these people are kind of having this sudden awakening to the fact that Osama bin Laden was right in, in the way that, you know, the Taliban and Al-Qaeda attacked America back in 2001. When you see this stuff going viral and know we're heading into probably the most important election cycle in the history of this republic, it's it's got to be disheartening to see, but you know for the people out there, they're going to be speaking the truths on matters like this. It, it, it's kind of like a, a good way to encourage you guys to be re-educating the American public about it. Yeah, it's it's concerning, but you know, it, it, look at what happened during COVID. Right. I mean, there's a psychosis going on in the country and the, there's people in big tech, there's people in the media that understand how to brainwash and manipulate the American people. And that's what's going on with that new, you know, the the letter from America, letter to America that was resurfaced. And it goes to show you, though, this is a this is a moral rot problem that's been occurring in our universities. The Marxists have taken over every single institution. The Marxists use the media as their propaganda machine. They use the universities as their indoctrination camps, and they use radical Islamist terrorists as their military wing. So that's why you're seeing this weird alliance, right, where you, you suddenly have you know rainbow flags and the Palestinian flag <laughs> flying together. It's very unusual, but this is a sign of what Marxists do. So it doesn't surprise me that you suddenly have this pop up on TikTok and it becomes a trend, and they they have sympathies for bin Laden, right? Right, which is it doesn't surprise me because these these kids have been indoctrinated with this Marxist ideology. So how do we combat that? Well, I, like I mentioned earlier, I think we need to remove a lot of foreign funding to these universities because a lot of wealthy people have now suddenly discovered, holy crap! Like you know what happened in Israel with Hamas attacking Israel. And, and now all these universities are pro-Hamas, a lot of these students. So they started to take away their money and their uh, their financial resources from those universities. But in many ways, these are individuals, you know, they might be, they're wealthy and they might be somewhat billionaires or they have a couple hundred million bucks, but they don't, I mean, that's just a, that, that barely makes a dent compared to what these universities take from the Saudis, from the Qataris, from the Emiratis, from the Chinese. You know, that's where a lot of it is. I think the rest of the world has discovered the United States government and the United States institutions are for sale. And we got to put a stop to that once and for all because you're seeing them pillage our country. But, you know, the, the, it's a psychosis we're facing. But I, I assure you, you know, your your podcast helps a lot, right? X just last year. And he's awakened and he's removed the censorship. And I think he's done more to save free speech than any politician ever has done in this country in the last 50 years. So there, there is a movement waking where the control of the media and that machine is is being fractured right now. So that's where I'm a little bit more optimistic, but it's just going to take time to get us out of this mess because quite frankly, the Marxists have been plotting this for decades and now they've just finally activated their army and that's where we're witnessing. No, you're 100% accurate there, and uh, yeah, it's just wild to me. When I saw, I, I kept hearing about Bin Laden on social media, and then, you know, Nor Bin Laden's a great friend of the show. She's obviously the niece of Osama Bin Laden, but she's been an America First patriot, strong supporter of President Trump, and uh, right. done a lot of things for America First, you know, since he's ran for office. But then when I go and see what it, it was actually, oh, the wrong Bin Laden, I was like, yeah, that's not good. So I'm glad, <laughs> I'm glad you were able to touch on that. Abe, last thing I want to touch with you on, it kind of goes hand in hand. You did mention, like, uh, you know, the the irony of seeing the pride flags within the, uh, you know, the marches that are going on across the United States for Palestinian sympathizers, and it kind of ties together the two subjects. I, I think a lot of people fail to remember that, you know, terrorism's biggest 
weapon isn't being terrorist or terrorism itself. It's propaganda. And that's what yeah. we're seeing with a lot of this stuff, especially with the explosion of social media. But it's being the most pro-Israel candidate as an Arab American. Do you want to talk to our listenership? I mean, parts of that seems like, you know, a slam dunk when it comes to you being an, an American who aspires to be an American politician. And, and, you know, you're a former serviceman, obviously. You understand the relationship and the dynamic of the United States and Israel, but it's, it's, sometimes it's got to be like challenging, especially within your own community and, and how you kind of push forward and rise above that. Sure. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm America first, first and foremost. You know, I've served my country in uniform. I've served overseas in Saudi Arabia. I've served as a prosecutor. Um, but my experiences, I've traveled all over the Middle East, right? I mean, I've, I was, I've been to Israel. I've been to Lebanon. I'm actually banned from Lebanon, and that's a whole other story. I've been to Syria. I've been to Egypt. So I, I've traveled, and you start to understand the history of the region, and it's really telling. And you see so many, Rashida Tlaib, Ilhan Omar, Cori Bush, these people are espousing Hamas propaganda, and they have very little understanding of the conflict. Um, you know, if people really want to know, in 2005, Israel unilaterally handed over the Gaza Strip to the Palestinians. They removed 8,000 Jewish settlers from the Gaza Strip. And what has happened since then? Was there peace? No, there's been rockets being fired from from Hamas. So, you know, it's for me, I look at this as just what is common sense and what is America's best interest? Israel is an outpost for for of, of freedom in the Middle East. And we have to support Israel because a lot of what they're facing is kind of it's almost an omen about what we can face here in the United States, yes. especially if we don't secure our borders. And that's what we're witnessing with, you know, 169 people on the terror watch list that came across our border. Those are only ones that we know of. So, you know, I look at, yes, I'm the son of Syrian immigrants. I have family that fled Syria, I have family that fled Venezuela. But I look at that more in the sense of I know what's coming. Marxists are on the march right now. And we have to be very careful because, again, they have teamed up with the radical Islamists. And it's an unusual alliance right now. But this is what they do in order to take power. So I'm just watching this rise and you're seeing the anti-Semitism here in the United States, something that we've never seen like it before in these type of numbers. It's it's scary. I have a friend in Nevada on her way to school. She she had to drop off her kids to her the school and they said, kill the Jews, free Hamas, uh, free Gaza. So can you imagine what these people are going through. I would be very scared if I was a Jewish student on a campus with a yarmulke. Uh, yeah. you know, and, and what a sad way to live, because this is the United States of America, where you have freedom of religion, we're supposed to have freedom, we're supposed to respect each other, and unfortunately, this is what the Marxist ideology does. They crush dissent, they try to jail you, and they, and they will ultimately try to take over every single institution in order to maintain that power. Yeah, it's it's wild to watch. You know, we just wrapped the segment on the uh, open borders hearing yesterday with Alejandro Mayorkas and Christopher Ray. That's definitely, you know, ones that uh, everybody on our show should be tuned into and, and, and understanding that these guys don't care and they're just going to keep going with the way that they're going up and through the 2024 election when we get new people in power, which, you know, kind of wraps it up with, here, with you, Abe. You know, awesome rollout today on the show. Obviously, we're going to be having you back frequently and checking in with your campaign. We're going to be live linking the campaign website in our show description today. But for anyone that wants to follow you on social media and can continue to contribute to all of your great efforts where can they check you out they can go to my website at abe4az.com a-b-e-f-o-r-a-z.com or they can follow me on twitter and truth at abraham homiday 
absolutely fantastic as was sitting down with you we're going to be wishing you an early happy thanksgiving because we won't be touching in with you next week but we'll be looking forward to having you back this is the republican candidate for arizona's eighth congressional district mr abe hominay thanks for coming back on the show and have a great weekend thank you guys busy end to the business week but i think we nailed it noah nailed it you know it's pretty funny too in uh catching up with abe hominay he did mention the multiverse which leads me to believe that the America First Avengers might be real. Nice. If you enjoyed this episode of the podcast and want to hear the now over 290 other editions of the show, it's pretty simple. Be following us across every downloadable podcasting platform. That's on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or iHeartRadio. Follow the show. Make sure it's downloading to your electronic device. Helps out the show bigly. And then across social medias, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram. Find the Steak for Breakfast accounts, follow us, and hit the notification bell. We want to thank all of our guests for coming down and sharing with us today. Virginia Representative Ben Klein, Dylan Law Group Attorney Ron Coleman, Arizona 8 candidate Abraham Hamaday, former federal prosecutor, great friend of the show, Mr. Cash Patel, and president of the New York Young Republican Club, Gavin Wax. You guys all helped make steak great again. Guys, we're heading into the weekend, but don't worry. We're not taking days off next week. We'll be back with an all-new Tuesday edition of the show, and it's an absolute banger inbound. We've got Colonel Rob Manis, Ambassador Carla Sands, Congressional Candidate J.R. Majewski, and Miss Liz Arrington all set to join us on episode 293 of the show. So thanks for listening. Have a fantastic weekend, and take care. There was an idea to bring together a group of remarkable people to see if we could become something more. So when they needed us, we could fight the battles that they never could.